right. So you guys are with Black Box Radio, and we are so and so happy to have you tonight. And I've been itching to do this. And this is not a versus Philly versus Baltimore because we know who gonna win that. We're gonna leave that out. Wow. But, yeah, we we know what's up with that. But right now, this is Black Men Teach. <laughs> wow. This is not a versus. This is Black Men Teach, and, and Black okay. Men do that. So I am Queen from Black Box Radio, and I welcome you guys. We're gonna have we're gonna have the conversation. That's what we're gonna have. Okay. We're gonna talk about Black Men Teaching. So I've introduced myself. I want everybody to introduce themselves, and then we're going to dive right into the into the topic. All right, Dave, we're going to start with you. I'm I'm Jared Forte, uh, producer here at Black Box Radio. I'm also a teaching artist and uh, audiovisual producer. Um, I guess I describe my capacity as a teacher mainly in sort of a non-traditional sense. I work mostly with lifelong learners. And in non-traditional teaching settings like after-school programs, um, I'm director of Baltimore United Viewfinders, and that is a learning community for folks of all ages. So we work from age eight to age 80, teaching skills in digital media, uh, storytelling, technology. And uh, so I'm excited to be a part of the conversation here. Um, yeah, so that's, that's G. That's G. All right. Brother Akil, hit us. More. Yeah, so um, Akil Parker, I've been a high school um, mathematics teacher for 15 years, still going strong. Um, I too teach lifelong, I guess you would call them lifelong learners. I'm, I work in a night school program um, down North Philly, um, teaching people that have uh, previously had to separate from the school district of Philadelphia for various reasons, and they're trying to get their high school diplomas. Um, still at the age of 40 or 50 or, you know, whatever. Um, so I applaud them. Um, I'm also an adjunct professor at Cheney University. And I'm also an adjunct professor at LaSalle University. I do some work over there, too. And I'm a, I'm a husband and a father of five all together. And I own and operate All This Math, which is a private tutoring business and an educational consulting company. And that's just my, my way of trying to contribute to uh, the push for us, for us as black people to have some type of ind independent alternatives for our children. That, that pretty much sums me up. All right. Stephen L. Ware, hit us. All righty. Good evening. Um, this is my 28th year teaching since 1992. Um, I've been involved in education um, 15 years in high school, 15 years on the collegiate level at BCCC, um, as well as dealing with students who are incarcerated in the juvenile justice system here in Baltimore, Maryland. And currently, this semester, God has put in my plate working with developmentally, um, developmentally impaired students that are almost adults. Um, you gotta take this serious. You gotta take it seriously because we are third generation away from manufacturing jobs, which is, it's done. So we have to teach our children to be self-reliant learners. And I think that we as men, we have the, the stamina and drive to demand that from our children. So that's why I'm still involved and that's why I'm still in it. Amazing, amazing. 
Brother Goodwin. Brother Kareem, let's hear from you. Yes, um, Kareem Goodwin. I've been in education for over 15 years. I'm based out of Philadelphia. All of my teaching has been in Philadelphia and in urban schools in Philadelphia. Um, heart, uh, English teacher, love English, started out as an English teacher, worked my way up to a dean, crossed over into administration, and now I'm the principal and CEO of Widener Partnership Charter School in Chester, PA. Um, and I'm, I'm just, you know, just dedicated to education. I know the power of it. I know what it's done for me. And that's why I'm in it. Yeah. Love it. Brother Kennedy. Talk okay, to mic check, everybody, mic check. <laughs> uh, so fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, uh, this is my 21st year, uh, 21st year in education, and I retired officially last year. Uh, I started off in special education and public school, and then I switched over to Catholic schools, uh, strictly high school. Um, I then started a Rites of Patches program where I had troubled boys. And so uh, basically, uh, I've spent maybe 18 years just with an all-male classroom. Uh, so I think... So I think I'm full at this time, but you know how it is. You see students as you travel and your work is never done, but I am officially retired. Uh, so that's my position. And, and uh, whether I get paid for it, whether I teach or not is, is irrelevant, but I'm not going to get paid for it anymore. So Got it. Uh, that's where I am. <laughs> Got it. All right, Brother Karaji. What's going on, y'all? Uh, yes, I don't know about that, Raja. It sounds like you're trying to say Roger I or something Karaji. like that. <laughs> Ragu. It's like, like uh, ragu spaghetti sauce. Key like key ragu spaghetti. Yeah, key ragu. Let's put it all together. Got there it. you go. Right. Um, yeah, um, I'm sorry. Uh, everybody was going over who they are and whatnot. I feel like I know a couple of y'all. Like I, I met, never mind. Uh, <laughs> my name is Kiragu. I'm a teacher, special educator at Frederick Douglass High School in Baltimore City. Um, also a stand-up comedian. And uh, what I've been doing lately is trying to codify, you know, the practice. I've been uh, teaching kids stand-up after school. Uh, for I've been teaching for 15 years. I've been doing the stand-up thing uh, for about five or six years. And uh, we've converted everything now so that we've, like, had, like, we have a virtual comedy class uh, and we were trying to work with kids, trying to make them create comedy content that will encourage other kids to like stay engaged with school during distance learning. Um, uh, but the main idea is to take the idea of comedy and the things we learn from comedy and show the kids how to use some of the tools they already have, like with social media and some of the, the natural talents they have as far as humor and uh, try and get them to learn how to tell their own stories. All right, Brother Sadiq, tell us who you are. How you guys doing? Um, my name is Sadiq Cooper. I've been teaching um, in urban education in high school for about nine years now. I think this will be my 10th year. Um, I primarily taught math, but I've also taught um, a few sociology courses that I developed this little um, sociology curriculum of mine as an elective. Uh, basically trying to show students is, um, how, how would I describe this in layman's terms? I basically tried to talk to or speak to some of the societal hurdles that 
black and brown kids are going to face and try to give them um, various tools and perspectives that allow them to like navigate um, some of the obstacles they'll face. Um, so that's kind of one of my favorite things. It's called SEL in school is just social emotional learning, but it's basically trying to teach the kids how to navigate certain social obstacles like racism, sexism, things like that. Um, that's my favorite thing that I say that I've done over the years, but I've also, you know, me, me and Park have been Lincoln, you know, here in Philadelphia and North Philadelphia, just trying to make sure that we send the kids that we face on the right path and things like that. Um, so I've also, I'm also a high school basketball coach and volleyball coach. So I, you know, I'm really into sports and I try to give kids as many avenues to be successful as possible. Um, that's just something I believe. And I know somebody mentioned earlier how we, we're a few generations away from the industrialization of our economic system. So I'm a, that's kind of one of the things that I talked about in my sociology class as far as, you know, having a competitive edge and whatever avenue that you want to take. Um, that's something that I'm a real big proponent of. So, um, but yeah, I like to keep it short and simple. I'm trying to make sure that, you know, our kids get some type of liberation that's different than just having like a one track mindset. So. Amazing. Amazing. And you coach. Oh, yeah. To talk about, this is not the conversation for the Sixers. You know, they got four forwards, a half a guard. But we're not going to talk about them right now. Let's move on. Definitely. Uh, this uh, is black no outside shoot. I stay out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in there. <laughs> you know, I, I had to tell you, bro. All right. So, you know, I'm hearing about pedagogy. And, 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 and I hear this, you know, and I'm not an educator. I know. Don't laugh how I say it guys. (laughs) It's all good. Can we get it? Can we get a pronunciation check on that? We don't want the audience to be my name. (laughs) You pronounce my name better than that. (laughs) Get out for me. What is it? Go ahead, doc. Talk to her. (laughs) What is it? Pedagogy. Pedagogy. Yes, the pedagogy, and I've heard I've heard so much about that. And not being an educator, um, it's it's the it's the way that you you teach, the understanding of teaching. Right. And um, as black men, what has been, and what we would say, what has been the barrier for black men when it comes to teaching, and why are you such a depressed population when it comes to being teachers? Why do you guys think that? I, I need to know some insight because I always say, no black male teachers, but I'm here to say they are, but they're, they're less than 5%. So can we talk about that? Akil, can you give me something on that? Yeah, um, <clears throat> why are there so few black male teachers? Absolutely. I think, I think it's a lot of reasons. Um, I think if we look at, in terms of the historical context, we gotta go back to you know Brown versus Board of Education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, happened and you know this so this is what you know um Derek Bell you know late you know um law professor um brother taught at how taught at Harvard um not that that's really a big deal that he taught at Harvard but that's just where he worked at but um in his book Silent Covenants he talks about interest convergence theory and he talks about how like it's like okay well you know in terms of pushing integration one of the things that happened was a lot of the black men and women that had teaching positions and were in administrative positions, they had to lose their positions and make way for, you know, in order for white, more white people to get jobs. And, you know, teaching is really a profession that is dominated by white women. And it really becomes an issue of economics and labor. And the fact that these white girls that go to college and get degrees, they need jobs because they got to pay off their student loans. And then a lot of them, they jump in to teach for America and these other programs and whatnot. Um, 
and really, so you know, that's and that, of course, it, it, again, it's, it's it's grounded in an economic need. It's not about you know building up you know our community and our children. And I don't and I don't expect them to. Um, that's our responsibility. Um, so, but they can they can get income from that. Another part of it also too is like even myself. Like I never wanted to be a teacher. I tell people that you know once I became a teacher, then I wanted to be a teacher. But I never wanted to be a teacher in high school. I never wanted to be a teacher when I was in college. Um, I think it's not it's not marketed to us, you know, in a certain way. And I, you know, I came, I graduated from high school in '97, so I grew up, you know, in the '90s and you know, in hip hop and whatnot, um, golden era, I guess. And you know, listening to the drug dealer rap and all that. And I, my thing is, I'm trying to get money. I'm trying to get a bag. And you know, so I, I majored in finance because I originally had aspirations of being like an investment banker or an equities trader or something like that um, when I went to college. But I never thought about you know teaching in terms of being able to be, um, be lucrative. And again, I don't, think it sh I don't think people should treat teaching like a hustle, even though many people do. And there's money to be made in it, especially when you have like some level of tenure, especially when you're able to do a lot of extracurricular activities. But I think people just don't know that you can live a comfortable lifestyle. A lot of, a lot of brothers don't know you can live a comfortable lifestyle um, as an educator. And also there's a lot, I'm gonna say this one last thing. I think there's just a lot of just, um, just, just, you know, a lot of the anti-blackness that we suffer from, because when I, you know, when I, when I talk to my own students and I'll be like, bro, like, yo, you'd be a good teacher. Like, you know, I see how you like, you're intelligent, you know, you have your ability, certain abilities and certain qualities and characteristics that would be beneficial in the classroom. The first thing a lot of them say, and the sisters say the same thing, is like, man, I had to smack one of these kids. But then I tell them, I say, wait, but listen, I never felt like I had to smack you, right? So, but they never think about that because it's about, you know, relationship building and rapport, but that, that propaganda, just in terms of how a lot of us feel about black people in general and black children, is a, there's a huge disconnect and a lot of animosity between like older generations and younger generations. So I think it, you know, a lot of people feel like, you know, if I have a choice of what career to go into, I'm not going to put myself in that space because they feel like it's a hostile space. And I mean, it is, in many ways, it is a hostile space, but it's not really hostile because of those children. It's hostile because of the neo-colonial schools and the structures that we have um, and the power structure that controls those schools and what they what they push for. Well, in undergrad for me, um, I started out as an accounting major and I had to take an elective and um, the elective I, I took was um, intro to education. And I had a phenomenal teacher by the name of um, Juanita Gates. And um, okay. And Juanita Gates, you see? Yeah, one of the gates was the woman, and um, she just, she just, I just gravitated to her. And coming from an HBCU and getting all that love from an HBCU, and seeing the power of the teacher, and it, and it wasn't forced; it was shown out of love how to um, incorporate things in the classroom. What were the different um, types of education you can go into? If you love to read, you can go into English. If you love numbers, you can go into math. It was just her passion that made me want to go into it. Also, um, I, wasn't, I really wasn't into accounting. It was something that my mother wanted me to do. But once I got involved in education, I found my niche. And I, get, I used to get really angry when people used to say, oh, anybody can be a teacher. That's not true. I'm 28 years in, and I still enjoy getting up in the morning. You see what I'm saying? And it doesn't even matter about 
the type of student that I'm dealing with. I just was, six years ago, I had all the kids that everybody heard about in Baltimore City um, creating all these crimes. And when you talk to them, you sit down and you show them that you have a passion behind what you're trying to deliver, they come around gradually. And um, ever since Juanita Gates and a couple others, I've been involved in this and loving it. And um, got my undergrad degree from Morgan and then went off to College Park. And that was a whole different, I don't even wanna talk about that. Nonetheless, I made it through thanks to that HBCU ground groundwork that I put in. But all in all, it just takes a teacher that has the compassion. And Juanita Gates was the woman that showed me that teaching was an artistry. It was art. And whatever you put forth to your students, you have to show your passion and show that it's art. And that's how I conduct my classes. Amazing. So at you more like on a college level from your instruction, it gave you the passion to want to be a teacher. Exactly. What college was that? Let's talk about the school that was. Oh, uh, that was the Morgan State University. The mighty Morgan State. That's all I want to hear, bro. <laughs> mighty, mighty big. I just want to make sure you get that. Nice colors because it's orange and blue like Virginia State, so they get a pass. <laughs> oh, ah. <laughs> But we have a lot more opportunities to go out and eat instead of the hungry Trojan. Oh, so we're gonna move back to Black Men Teach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got one spot. Look, if if the wow. HBCU is above or on the Mason Dixon line, they just don't count, uh, except for Cheney. That's it. Oh, uh, I don't wow. know. Okay, I don't know. All right, that. we're gonna let that go, brother. Yeah. Um, Kennedy, come on in here and yeah. um tell us why Black men aren't present in the school at a um rate that we see these uh white women, eighty percent. Okay, so uh, first of all, shout out to Morgan State um, and any other school that educates black men, <laughs> for that for that matter. So it's it's going to depend really on how you view um, the situation we're in. If you view it from a from a point of view of numbers and economics, like Brother Akil, then the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, the education establishment they just don't trust black men to do adequate jobs because they believe that black men in general are inferior uh, if, if you take it from the numbers. So once they get a safe quota from that point of view, then they're going to uh, focus more on hiring, you know, save the world white women. Once they reach a quota, if you take it from the economic point of view in terms of how many teachers do we need? So if we need 20 of them, we really don't need more than three or four that are that are African-American if we need 20, if you take it from that standpoint. But if you take it from a historical uh, attack of black people in general, uh, I feel like every system in America, including education, feels threatened that it's gonna be overrun by uh, more talented or more educated uh, black people. We see it in sports, we see it in uh, media, we see it in everything that we do, so naturally, when it comes to black males in the classroom, um, why would they why would they want to see more black men in the classroom when they would rather see more black male dropouts uh, so that they could support you know the pipeline to prison system? Yep. So it just it just depends on how you're looking at it. But um, I I feel like middle of the road 
the bottom line is I'm going to co-sign Brother Akil. Uh, nobody nobody uh, vets you at an early age to be a teacher. Uh, and uh, you don't see a lot of teachers like ourselves out there in front of the general population of young people. So what you have to do, Queen, is you have to send every middle school a copy of this so that maybe some black male would see for the first time at least eight males together in an educational setting because it really isn't uh it really isn't pushed to the forefront that black males number one teach and number two do it effectively and number three earn enough money to uh support families so it's going to depend on the view that you take amazing that, that's amazing so g i know you um you say you teach alternative and longtime learners and you teach diverse students. So why do you think there are not more of you present in teaching? Well, um, I think just from a, from, a broad, from a broad perspective, demographically, if you look at the generation of people who would be teaching now, the impacts on black men across culture and across society over the last 25, 30 years, took a lot of candidates out of eligibility for that just by early involvement in the criminal justice system being diverted away from professional careers in general. So, you know, that, that kind of took, took stuff right off the top. I do, I do know that for me, I wasn't necessarily, um, I always was a teacher. Like I, it, it was just like a part of my personality and the way that I interacted with people. So it was something that was kind of recognized in me in just the way that I interacted with people. Um, but, you know, I was fortunate enough to have opportunities to exhibit that and to be validated for that type of, of behavior. I had that type of encouragement. So uh, again, having the recognition of people who incline towards it and then being able, having the early support for it, I think is really the key. Um, and, and it's also, um, it's, it's, it's also uh, got to be cool. Like teachers, from, from a purely standpoint of the students I work, teachers are like nerds. They're like geeks, you know, you're not cool. You know, that, that's sort of the, um, the and, and with young people being cool with your peers is paramount. Like, so, and, and, and sometimes you'll, you'll have teachers that, uh, if you're not, if you're not, if you're trying to be cool, it's transparent and you corny. Like there's a, there's a lot of things in terms of reaching and identifying young people uh, who would be really great teachers. But I, I think in, at the end of the day, the impact that you make on people, um, it inspires them to pass it along. Just like the brother said before, it was a great teacher that inspired them to want to teach. And um, a lot of times, teachers are in situations where it doesn't look like they're loving their life a whole lot. Also, in general, there's this narrative that, oh, teachers, is, you know, it's such a hard job. It's not, you know, it's under, underpaid. You know, the narrative behind it is, why would I want to do that when I, you know, why would I want to do that when I could um, go, go make some real money somewhere? Like they were saying before, trying to secure the bag. Um, the, so, if you know, if you don't already have the privilege, I think, the, the narrative around teaching attracts people who already have privilege, like the white, you know, so the large population of white women who 
occupy the space are coming from a place where there's a, a level of privilege there and they feel like they are giving back, you know? And, and there's just like the psychological benefit for that, where if you're coming from a situation where you haven't gained anything for yourself, it's like, well, I got to get something first before I give back. You know, that's sort of the, the, the mindset. And then I'll go and, and do this or go that. I think it's, a lot of it is just kind of tied to what our understanding experiences of teachers when we were young, and it kind of goes on from there. Uh, and, you know, you have to plant the seed because if you, I had, in, in growing up, I didn't go to school. I didn't, I'm not from Baltimore. I grew up in North Carolina. I had um, two black male teachers in 12 years. Um, so that representation is a really big thing too. Um, somebody has to kind of step out and, and show it, just like the brother said, letting people see that we are out there can make a big difference. Absolutely. So I'm hearing representation, I'm hearing um, the criminal justice system exactly um, kind of deters men because of course you go into that system. I'm hearing um, white women feel as if that they're saving the world and they're coming back into schools. So I'm hearing a lot why I haven't heard anything abusive because I talked to another brother and he said, well, that was a place he was abused. He'll never teach. So, you know, that's what I heard. So, you know, I'm not a man. So we're going to move on and hear from you brothers. Brother Sadiq, come on in here. So, uh, I was thinking about this and I'm glad y'all touched on a lot of points. Uh, before I even get into all of that, I want to say that, you know, prior to the Brown v. Board decision, um, we had plenty of thriving black communities with black principals and black teachers across the nation. So, um, you know, after Brown v. Ward, just because, simply put, because a lot of the integrated communities didn't trust black teachers and principals to be in their schools or run their schools, mm -hmm. um, I think over 90% of all the black principals across the United States lost their jobs. And I think at least over 50% of all the black teachers were out of their jobs after uh, Brown v. Ward in, in the mid-60s. Um, like I think, uh, I think it was a place called uh, Topeka, Kansas. It was like one of the thriving black academic yeah. hubs um, in the South that was full of black principals and teachers had a massive decline. And I think the Brown v. Board decision kind of decimated that academic community. So, um, and you know, there were upticks and downticks from, you know, post seventies and eighties of um, black men in particular, black teachers in general, but black men specifically education. But generally speaking, you got to start thinking about the uh, politics and economics behind it all. Um, we also touched on, um, just the, the mindset. So when you talk about like white women being um, such a large demographic in education, you gotta understand that that also does come from a place of privilege because of how, you know, the rhetoric that's out there about education and how there's a lack, like most people say like, oh, teachers don't get paid. You know, that's kind of like the general sentiment uh, for most people if you're not, you know, in that environment to really know. So now, you know, if you have a community of people, a population of people who are, you know, underserved in, regard, in regards to economics and don't have a lot of money, like the brother said earlier, uh, you're not necessarily going to put yourself in a career that isn't supposedly going to earn you enough capital to, to be a player out here. So I think that mindset, just like, you know, people said before, that mindset is going to drop people into other careers. People think, you know, law school, people think, you know, business or medicine, but they're not thinking education as a means to, um, 
provide for their families. So that that's going to be a big deterrent in regards to people getting an education. So and to go back to white women, if I'm a if I'm a person that has an affluent family, I have the privilege to be able to give something back. I'm coming from a different um, economic background, so there's a level of comfort that I can have to kind of choose the career path because I'm not my family isn't dependent solely upon me to provide for everybody because there's already that uh, wealth built up in my family. Um, so I think that will play a large role on top of all the other social economic factors. Those are just, you know, it's kind of, it's a complex, it's a complex question. I think there's a lot of angles that you can look from, look at it and different people are going to have varying perspectives on it. But generally I would just say from a sociological perspective, there's a lot of, uh, strings being pulled that'll pull people away from it, if that makes any sense. Uh, and I'm not laughing at you. I'm, Kennedy is moving around, so it's, it's funny. But what you're saying is amazing that like white women or they come from a position of privilege and they really can just teach because they really don't have to worry about what they're being paid or because everything is stable in their lives. So it's teaching not. is something to get, that, that makes a, a lot of sense, a lot of sense. I'm coming to you, Brother Goodwin. I know you're the administrator, so I wanna I'm gonna get all the teachers there. So brother okay, I'm gonna I'm not gonna mess your name gonna up. Karaji. You're gonna try. Karaji. <laughs> brother Karaji. Come on, come on. Talk yeah. to us. Make us laugh um, too. Now see, that's not what I'm here for, all right? <laughs> right. It's not what I'm here for. See, my, my style of comedy is more uh political in nature and more okay. racial. So I might use the N-word. Or something like that, but nothing other than that. <laughs> no, if you ask me, um, like he was saying, uh, with with, I hate really talking about our own conditioning and condition and uh, trying to like speak of others like in the process, like talking about well, white women are doing this and other people are doing that. But um, it it is important to say that a lot of like the teaching profession is dominated by women. A lot of, uh, from my experience, a lot of people. Uh, use teaching as a either stepping stone for something larger right or they use it as a uh almost like a placeholder like a lot of people come in they get that maternity leave and they wear it out <laughs> all right a lot a lot of people uh come in and have their kids on on uh on teacher on the teacher dime uh but as far as like us and the decisions that we make as black men um i would say that like i I went to a HBCU because um, I'm from a very rural area. It's like Tea Party Land in Virginia, King William, Virginia. Uh, and uh, they, I wanted to like be around people more like us, right? And in that, in those travels, I, I joined fraternity. In my fraternity, uh, Alpha Phi Alpha, uh, I look at my line brothers kind of like as a, a cross section of of us as a people. And it's nine of us, right? And I'm like the brokest amongst all of us. You know what I mean? And <laughs> that's kind of a thing. Like people who are making the best <laughs> the best grades, who are doing whatever, whatever, they want to be fairly compensated for that. And I think that uh, the the higher uh, amounts of money people can make in education, like we, I never heard about any of that or never knew any of those types of avenues. Uh, and it's not something that's really uh, pushed us. What You know, they tell us either you got to, wicked jump shot or slinging clack, crack rock, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a lot of our, our choices seem like they're made for us, you know? And um, 
I, unfortunately, if I look, I'm talking about my experience with my buddies in college. If I talk my buddy, about my buddies from high school, it was maybe like 15, 16 uh, black males in my graduating class. And, you know, we were, they, I mean, the world got us good. Like at least half of us, you know, spent time, uh, not me, but spent time in jail. <laughs> you know, did, you know, got caught up uh, trying to like fit that narrative that I was just talking about where people feel like we have to uh, be this like, this thing, you know, which isn't anything that is like a teacher. All right. If you're, if you're a teacher, it's like you're being aberrant as a black male. I'm hearing that the marketing to the black male is not really there. So they're not, you, you don't even know that that's the profession that you can go into. So, wow. All right. So brother, good. I related to what my brother said a minute ago. I had like two black male teachers from the time I was, uh, in kindergarten until I graduated high school, you yeah. know, and uh, and I will say that the black male, one of the black male teachers I had, uh, Calvin Sorrell, was a graduate of Virginia State University, right? And he made me want to go to a black school and play in that band and jump around and dance and march, you know, <laughs> he made me want to be a part of the culture. I get it. I get it. And I only had one um, black male teacher, too, in my whole 12 years. So, so, Kareem, you're in the um, administrative side and you hired. Yeah. So I want to hear your standpoint of why black men aren't teaching. Um, I'll give you my perspective um, as a teacher and then I'll give you my perspective as an administrator. Sure. So for me, I always wanted to be a teacher. Like there was nothing else that I ever wanted to be. Even when I was in high school, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, so for me, my path was always in that, in that, you know, in that direction. And like, you know, the gentleman said, you know, if you want to be an English teacher, you like to read, you like to write, you want to do math. Well, that was me. I love to read and I love to write. So English if me being an English teacher was a natural thing for me. Um, I, I, I agree with what a lot of the brothers said is that, you know, it's not marketed. It's not told for us, you know, the benefits of being a teacher. So, you know, when I went to, when I went to Delaware State University, my advisor, Dr. King, you know, he told me that, you know, you can basically, you know, write your own ticket in education as a black male. And that was the first time I was already in education, but that was the first time was like, wow, I never thought of it like that. Like, because, you know, there, there aren't many of us, you know, I have an opportunity to, you know, basically write my own ticket. And that doesn't happen in many fields. You know, we talk about law, we talk about medicine. And, you know, although, although those uh, uh, employment opportunities have a lot of, you know, potential for, for, for compensation, you know, you don't, you don't have the opportunity to, to, you know, move up as fast. So for me, you know, education, you know, I make a, I make a really good salary, you know, um, as, as a, as an administrator, you know, being as though there's not a black, there's not a black, a lot of black administrators either. So it's, so, you know, they, they want black administrators. So you can make a really good, you know, um, you know, you can really make a good, a lot of good finances in, in regards to, you know, teaching, but there's also a whole bunch of incentives. You know, you don't work during the summer. Um, me being an educator, my my second master's degree was free. Um, the university that I work at now, my, my charter school is connected to a university, so I'm able to go to, um, to obtain my PhD for free. My children can go to various colleges for free. There's a lot of incentives around education that, that uh, young men don't know about. Right. And, you know, um, you know, although there are not a lot of us in a profession, when you when you are in a profession, you know, being a black man does have some perks, yeah. um, a lot of perks, and, and it's just it's just not told to us. 
So, you know, like once my advisor told me that, you know, he was like, well, you know, you'll only be teaching for three years and you can be in administration. Obviously, I taught longer than that because I love being in the classroom. But, you know, that stuck in my mind of like, you know, you can you can live a good life and take care of your family. And there's so many other incentives to it that, you know, aren't told or told told, told to our to our young people. Um, when I taught at Overbrook High School, you know, I was a young teacher. You know, I drove a Cadillac and my students were like, you drive a Cadillac? Like, you're a teacher. Like, yeah, here's how you can do the same thing. And you can live a really good, a really good life off a teacher's salary, especially, you know, if you're in different districts. So I think it's just not, you know, it's just not told to us as young people that, you know, education is a, is, is a, is a viable tool for you to do a lot of things, for you to get, you know, um, advanced degrees, for you to provide for college educations for your family. You know, I, I, I have a few rental properties. That's for my salary and education. Like a lot of that stuff isn't taught to our young people to see that education is a viable option for them for employment. From an administrator standpoint, um, there aren't a lot of us in the field from a teaching standpoint. So I have to, you know, be creative, um, you know, and, you know, send my, send my job description to Cheney, send my job description to Lincoln, you know, so let, let's, uh, educators know that you know that I'm hiring so you know it, it's very hard um to find us to find us brothers but um the brothers that are in education they need some support me and Mr. Parker talking about it all the time you know I'm, I'm I'm myself I'm administrative but I struggled with the praxis for a while which is the teacher certification exam yeah. Yeah. that um yep. that that put barriers I've been to a lot of job fairs where I've I've, I've met some decent brothers but they don't have that piece. And that's a barrier that's stopping a lot of um, males in education as well that want to be teachers, but then they have this barrier that then they decide to go in another field or they just try to do some other things. So, I mean, I think that needs to be looked at as well too. What'd you say? Um, well, it's, it's a teacher. What is that? Yeah, the practice. It's a teacher certification exam. So um, it's a teacher certification exam. And like I said, I'm, I've taught for years. I'm an administrator now, but the math portion, you know, piece. like, yeah, it took, it took, it yeah. took me out. <laughs> yeah. um, wow. You know, I had to, I had to actually hire a tutor mm -hmm. to, wow. to, you know, to pass that. And I was failing by one or two points, you know, the yeah. English part, you know, I breezed through that. So, you know, I find a lot of, you know, a lot of brothers that are really good and I really want them in my school, but then they don't have the certification. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's, that's, that's a barrier yeah. as, as well to, you know, to having us in a, in a, um, having us in education. And I think that's something that yeah. we need to look at, you know, really supporting brothers, you know, going like, like the, the gentleman said, you know, going to the middle schools, you know, I would even take it a step further of, you know, going to the colleges and meeting with the education majors in the department and providing some type of tutoring support because, you know, I'm a dinosaur. So when I took the test, it was like 150 bucks. Now it's like yeah. three, $400. So that's another, yeah, that's, a that's another, Wow. So that's another that's another ploy and barrier they yeah. put in front of us, you know, because you can't afford to fail. Right. And I even back then, even though it was one fifty, I couldn't afford to fail it that many times. But I was, right. you know, I knew this was, was what I was, you know, destined to do. So I kept pushing forward. Yeah. But think about how many brothers, you know, that we talked about that you know need, you know, to provide finance for their family immediately, or some students that you know that just don't have that resilience to you know continue to take the test. You know, we I would suggest that we you know, start doing something where we can bring some tutoring back to help those brothers. Cause we're losing brothers that way as well too. Yeah. So they, have a, so they have a certification. That test is there to block black men from teaching. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. just my personal yeah. opinion. So that's you, just my personal you get out of school 
you finish your, your degree, if you get your master's, whatever, right. and now you have to take a certification exam to yeah. teach. Yep. That yeah. is harder yeah. than your school, yeah. your schooling. Are you telling me that? Yeah. And now they have a new Correct. one. They have a new one now that's even worse. The Why are we doing it? Well, where does this come from? Is this the Board of Education? Is this coming from down? Where does this come from? Comes from Princeton. Yeah, it comes from Call Princeton. Call them out. Call them out. The, those are the Ivy Leagues, Brother Sadiq. You know about them? Okay, let's move on. Penn <laughs> <laughs> State. Uh, All right, so um, that's really concerning. That's concerning to me that yeah. they create this. This we create creating barriers, you know, for um, for greatness. And I think that's concerning that you're saying the math portion is hard. Yeah. That 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 that's that, that's really concerning. Um, that they would they have something like that out there. I didn't know that. Okay, so I heard a lot of reasons why black men aren't teaching. But I do want to delve into this uh, 80% population of white women. And, you know, we're in a, we're in a, a part, uh, well, we're in a society right now that has uh, shined a tremendous light on racism. Uh, we know it's there. We experience it every day. And, but now it seems like um, it's sexy to, um, to talk about racism, in other words. If I can put it any... <laughs> anymore in layman's terms. And so um, these young males who go to school and teachers, you see the women and the people who are calling the police. You know, that mo a lot of these are white women. And so you have to then in turn go to school, you have to teach alongside them and you have black boys who are being instructed by these women. So what kind of environment is in the school for black males to even thrive and, and black girls to, to say the least with, with this type of population being the number one population in education? Is that an issue or is that something that is okay for black people? And black yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to speak to that for a second as well. Um, so, so talking about a hostile learning environment, uh, if all of us go back to our first year teaching, green, uh, bushy, bright eyed, and hoping to really make a strong impact, what we found was there was not, talk about recidivism, there was not really a set uh, manual on how to orientate you uh, other than just the general classroom rules and regulations. But remember, uh, it's unspoken, but there's a lot more expected from black male teachers, especially in the new year. So I had bouts with my administrator wanting me to be the hallway monitor, uh, wanted me to do cafeteria duty, wanted me to do things which all new teachers have to get shuffled into. But the problem with that is it never leaves you. You always become the school police to a degree. Because bouncer. yeah, because black mm -hmm. men are supposed to be the last stop when it comes to discipline. However, uh, Queen, here's the trap. It's a tight rope. Because if you ever go too far physically, you are on your own 100%. Um, I went to I worked at St. Francis Academy. Uh, I was very fortunate, because I was also like the brother a wrestling coach. And I was the track coach, you know, my first year, I'm going to change the world. So everything that I thought I could bring to the school, 
I did that only to find out that uh, the pay is not going to be equivalent to the effort that you put out. Um, so I found out on the DL that my assistant track coach, who was a Caucasian, was actually being paid more than me. Uh, I found out that I was, I don't know, I guess I'm not going to say being disciplined or written up or demerits, but it was looked on negatively because I did not want to spend my extra periods policing the hallway as opposed to being prepared. I wanted to use that time uh, creatively to be prepared for the next class coming in. But if I wasn't on hallway patrol, uh, or if I wasn't doing the things that black men should do in general, it was seen as a negative. But I'll say this, I was fortunate. I got away with some things because I was the wrestling coach. Uh, because putting hands on children, even to break up fights, as a black man becomes very sticky, especially when there are females involved. If there's two females involved, you really gotta go try to find a female administrator or a female teacher, but you're placed in those situations constantly. And if you don't do anything and something bad happens, they're kind of looking at you side-eyed like you're a man and you watch that happen. However, you are on your own if you go too far and that becomes a lawsuit in some situations because black men can't do the same things that cute white girls could do, little blue-eyed, bushy white girl. You can't do it. You can't do it and get away with it. But uh, those are some of the barriers I want to speak to. There's no committee to welcome you. There's no orientation uh, for that. And nobody pulls you aside unless you have some older gentleman teaching and says, hey, listen, this is the better way to handle that. I know you wanted to jump in there, gung-ho and stop that fight, but this was a better way to do that. So longevity as a teacher I mean, forget about how many teachers are not being hired. There's also a problem with recidivism because you might be a well-intended black male teacher, but if nobody guides you through, you know, the maze, you're subject to be caught out there. Wow. That's a whole new deal. I didn't even think. So they're using you guys as the police in the school. My oh, goodness. Pretty yeah. much. Another thing that uh, as, I haven't knew that. Go ahead, Karaja. Uh, it's it's two things. It kind of works for you and against you in certain ways, right? Because of the patriarchy, there's going to be a lot of uh, average people who kind of can get promoted if you just can wear the suit and you know and <laughs> say all the correct things at the correct times. True. You know, so there's almost like a a certain way you can advance. You know, as as a black man, you know, you have to like play the fit. You have to play a certain role. Absolutely. And if you, and if you do that, they'll, they'll give you to the keys to the city, you know. Wow. So it's a way like if you're just normal black man, they like go in there, break up the fight. But if you're a certain black man, if you got on the bow tie or something, they're like, I don't know. Let me hear what this brother got to say. You know, <laughs> it's like they treat you different. And you're then, in charge um, of student government then. Right, right, right. They start giving right. you stuff. They want you to be the Obama or something like that. Yeah. Right, not in the um, cafeteria. Right, no, uh, never in the cafeteria. <laughs> like, right, but but we also are like victims to the to the, I guess, school is just a microcosm of of the rest of the world and the rest of the country, you know. So is in in the end, it's like we're there and people are afraid of us, in Ooh. some in some aspects. So if we're in a professional setting, we voice concerns and we say things that people don't like or we use the wrong tone 
stuff goes left really, really fast. <laughs> really fast. So you Wait always got to watch. Yeah, Break watch. that down. Break that down. Break that down. Go into the <laughs> like if somebody somebody Break brings down. smoke to you and right. you in turn return fire <laughs> in any way. I don't care who right. it is. There you right. Go. You are held to a much higher standard than anybody else in that building. Wow. You know, uh, so it yeah, it's it's a little bit I found it off putting at first. You know, like I said, because you're supposed to be they they want you to they want to use your body. You know, they want to use your body. They want it to get in the way of things. Like you said, put you in the hall, you know, break up stuff. Um, but when you use your voice, and uh, that's when people kind of have a, a problem, usually because, like I said, it's predominantly a female environment. Uh, or it's all mostly women. And what you're saying is it has to go through a filter, I think, you know, and, and it's like it can come across as aggressive. It can come across as ignorant because sometimes we're ignorant. And that's something else that can come in. If you right, if if we say something and it's not in the the way you're supposed to say it professionally, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, you could be walking the plank right then and there, and somebody would be calling security on you. Mm -hmm. Wow, <laughs> a, yeah, I think I, think I would never a minute. think that any of this uh, is happening in in a school setting for black men. So it's it's bringing a lot of light out. Um, Akil. You know, you are you are light skinned brother. So and I and I ain't putting no colorism on him, bro. You real real talk. You're you know, not. I'm just being real. So are, when you are, you them, are you not doing? Are you no, not? I, 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 gotta, I gotta say, you know, this is real talk. So kill you come in, you the creamy brother. So you know, do they have a problem with you? Do you have some of the issues with with the white girls? Are, are they thinking you aggressive? How how how's your space in school? Talk to us. Real so, talk. Additional high school settings, you know, dealing with like I teach in a high school now, but it's a night school program for adult okay. learners. But when I was in a traditional high school setting, I pretty much um, I continued on with you know what I was what I was taught and conditioned to do as a as a young man. Like I, I pretty much I stay away from white women, you know. Like I know about you know I learned about image that you know that that influences you know, how I interact with people. And anyway, so. You know, a lot of it is, you know, I tend to like, you know, keep my distance and try to keep it professional anyway. But okay. then as I developed throughout my career, I became, I guess, more alienated from colleagues or most of my colleagues. Because when I realized that, you know, this is a, you know, this, this building, you know, it's neo-colonial, it's, you know, it's oppressive, it's, um, it's a plantation. So then you have, you know, teachers that want to serve to maintain that and just get their paycheck. They want to be company men and company women. And I recognize it because when I first started teaching, I was a company man. That's, mm -hmm. So that led to a lot of advert animosity between me and the students, right? Because you, you're kind of put in this position where you, you know, you're kind of like a, in some cases, you're like, you're like the prison guard, right? right. You're like overseer. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. Wow. But then when you realize like, okay, I see what's going on. Then you have to make a decision. It's like Francis Fanon says, like, you know, when, when you're exposed to the truth, you only have two choices. You can either deny the truth or you can affirm it. It's no in between. Right. Yeah. So when you affirm the truth, you say, okay, well, I know this is going on. So now I got to make a choice. So I, I started to grab, I became more of a, an advocate for my students, which then puts you at odds with other teachers and other administrators. And some of it is just petty jealousy because then what happens is you become like the cool teacher. 
mm. or you become the teacher that the, that the students like. And then it's like the other teachers, instead of, well, what is, you know, what is Mr. Parker doing? How does he, how is he able to establish such a rapport with the, with the youth and with the students? It's like, oh, you know, you're, you're too friendly with them or, you know, you must not exactly. be job or mm-hmm. you're not teaching, you know, right. they, you know, they always want to hang out in your class because oh, you don't have no discipline. You don't have no classroom management because it's, a, it's oh. a jungle in there. You just let anything go. And it's like, no, it's not like that. What it is is um, I think about W.E.B. Du Bois and his work with sociology. And he always said, I begin all my studies with the fundamental assumption that the African is a human being. So mm. many institutions in our society begin with the opposite of that the fundamental assumption that the African is not a human being, that the African is a savage, as the youth like to say a lot, throw that term around, not really understanding the real impact and the history of that term. Um, so when, when, as a teacher, once you do that, you begin you know, with this idea that, yo, my students are human beings. You're gonna treat them a certain way. And when you really sit back and you take an account and you look at the other teachers, you look at administrators, look at how they're interacting with the students, it's like, yo, like, you're not, you don't even believe in their humanity. Like, what's, you know, so then, so then what happens, and, I, and then again, it's another part of it is, and I guess this all, this all speaks to, like, why, like, I kind of have, you know, in many cases, I've had, like, um, kind of like a set in a lot of colleagues is because when you become, you become a teacher and you're developing relationships with students, you're seeing them every day, every day, five days a week, for like, months and months, and then some students you teach year after year, if you stay in the same school, you know, you teach them in different classes, and then you, you develop, like, you, like, you become an old head. You know, and you, they, they designate you their old head. You don't even have to designate yourself. They designate you because now they feel comfortable with you. So then you have that, like, parental relationship or that big brother relationship. And then it's, like, a different dynamic because now there's emotion attached to it because now if you see this teacher being goofy and being, like, oppressive, like, it's like, yo, because I'm like, I wouldn't let nobody treat my little brother like that. I wouldn't let nobody treat my child like that. So it's almost like, but then you got to catch yourself because, like, you'll see situations where it's like, okay, if that was my child, I'd probably smack the piss out of her. Right. But you know, it's not my biological child, but I still feel that way, though. I still want to smack the piss out of her. So at a minimum, I got to keep my distance. Let me let me just stay in my classroom. Like, you know, OK, you work your side of the street. I work mine. And, you know, my students are going to know that they're going to be safe when they come around me. And I'm gonna also let them know, like, listen, what she did is not right. What he did is not right. You know, I'm going to be honest with him. And another thing is, like, on the high school level, it lends itself to having these more like candid and mature conversations anyway, you sure. know? Um, so yeah. So in terms of like the white women, I pretty, I pretty much, you know, a lot of them, I, a lot of, a lot of them, I keep my distance from them and, you know, I keep it professional. Like if I, if I need something, some resources or whatever, okay, let me get this let me get that, you know, keep it moving. Um, I do know, I do know in a lot of situations where some, some of the brothers come into the schools and they, they'd be a little bit too friendly with them. And I sit back and I watch it and I'm like, nah, bro, chill. Like you, you're doing too much, man. Like, you know, and you know that, you know, and the, are you taking into consideration how, you know, and you know, she may, what type of relationship she has with the students? Like, you know, cause then, cause then what it does, it puts you in a position where like the brother brought up how we end up being like the, uh, you know, like the muscle or like the bouncer, right? Right. Dynamic where you end up having to protect the white women from the students who are regarded as savages. So there's this idea that the students are savages. So then you as the black buck, now your job is, oh, there's this expectation. You're going to protect these, these fragile white women from these horrible, horrific students that they don't want to teach anyway, but they need that check every two weeks. They need them summers off and them checks still coming in so they can go hang out at the shore or wherever they, wherever they go and whatever they do.
Tell it, Akil. I think you're telling it. You, you brought that one. All right, Sadiq. I know you you used to the Penn State, the, the 80% white women, bruh. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you, this is something that you acclimated to. <laughs> so talk wow. To so talk to us. How does it feel in school teaching alongside that population and how the effects on black children? Real talk. So like Akil says, uh, education is kind of neocolonial. Like I've been um, on both sides as a teacher and I, I did administration for like a year and I realized I had to step back and get back into the classroom because I realized it wasn't for me. And that changed uh, my perspective a lot. At the end of the day, you realize that schools are agents of the state. It's not, they're not really these independent um, pockets where they can kind of, where they can kind of mold or move freely. They still have um, to answer to somebody. So even when, like when I was an administrator, administrator, my perspective, I couldn't necessarily do the things that I thought was right because I had to think, I had to serve the school. Um, and I kind of, I used to wrestle with that a lot, which is why I went back to the classroom because I felt like I actually had more agency to touch the students in a way that I believe that they um, needed. But I would say that it, it's kind of, it's a hostile environment. I think um, education, the culture of education is dangerous to black students. I think that, so for example, I heard people will say they had to act professional, right? And I understand what that means like on at face value, but what does that really mean? Um, literally. So, you know, like using certain words or, you know, your ability to articulate a point that has to be done in a certain way. Otherwise it's deemed um, beneath someone else based on, you know, European standards. So I can tell a kid that I can say, Hey Tom, I don't like how you're treating me today. Or I could say, Tom, I think you're drawing today. Right. Um, now, the context is both the same. I think the student's doing something they're not supposed to do and they need to relax. You know, you're trying to redirect the student. But if I don't use specific language or if I don't portray that in a way that, you know, the principal or someone else will understand it, it can be abrasive um, and you can become that other, kind of like Akil was talking about. Like, I'm kind of, even like when I think about my career now in the transitioning, transitioning state, I used to be um somebody who wanted to be a part of like the school leadership committees and um i wanted to be an assistant principal i wanted to become a principal i took my principal cert um and that's kind of like the path that i was going down and like the further i got into administration the more i realized for me personally because i don't think this is um general i don't want to generalize but for me personally i felt like i got farther away from what i wanted to do um in regards to just being able to speak to the students that i have directly because I feel as though if I can't be face to face with my students, the message get, can get like missed and watered down in regards to basically trying to portray the urgency in which they need to live their lives to be, to reach the success that they say that they want to reach. Um, just because I, the environment is hostile. And it's, it's so like, there's so many thoughts coming to my mind right now as far as like, you know, you have racist testing policy, like we talked about the praxis. You, so like right now in Pennsylvania, you got the PSSA and the PSSA scores dictate what type of middle or high school that you go to, which can dictate the quality of your education. Um, certain students from certain neighborhoods, if they can articulate themselves in a certain way, they might be able to pull certain strings where the, the, the 
very next students who just as deserving doesn't receive the same benefits. And I just think um, educational equality is not only financial, which is what everybody talks about, but it's largely cultural. And if you're cut from a certain cloth or you're from a certain neighborhood, it's going to be hard for you to navigate yourself. So me being somebody who was born in the projects, even though I went to college on a full scholarship and I got my master's degree and I got my certification, I still, I'm, you can't, you know, you can take the brother out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the brother. So, um, you know, the way I carry myself makes you, you know, you can become a part of the opposition. And like you said, you can become a kid's old head and the kids can gravitate towards you but you know people might deem it unprofessional and you could become alienated so now you're you OG yeah you gotta make a choice like do I wanna you know put my bow tie on put my tie on every day or can I wear my Wu-Tang shirt and my Phillies fitted and why do, why do am I less than of an educator because I've decided to carry myself a certain way or carry myself in a way that's comfortable for me and you know it, 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 it just makes it being truth to self is difficult and some people can choose to leave and it's hard to, you know, stand 10 toes down in an environment that, you know, that's not dominated by you or might not necessarily be for you um, and still try to help serve kids, you know, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to do that myself still. Do I put the bow tie on just to give myself a leg up to have the opportunity or do I stay true to myself and do what I believe is best knowing that it might put my job, at risk and I end up might not touching them, you know, being a teacher at all. It's kind of, it's a tough dynamic to be in. You said a lot, but I'm hearing that the culture in school is a, you know, is there's no culture for the black culture and it's, it's a hostile environment for black children. And so it, it, is there a way that they can flourish? But I don't want to go there yet. I want to stay where we at, the 80% Karen, um, white women in the can school. Can I add something? Yeah, go ahead. But I so so I I think also when, when whenever I'm a part of these conversations, I also I also want to be abundantly clear that the solution is not to reform this because this can't be reformed, right? Ooh, it's right. like before we even say that, let's not do that. Like, <laughs> I I just want to be clear for anybody that's watching, anybody that's listening. The yeah. ultimate solution is for us to just have the have our own independent schools mm. that we fully control, we fully finance, we fully operate. It's grounded in African culture and, you know, that, that, that we're fully in control of where we won't even have to have, I mean, it's not going to be easy. It's not, it's not utopian or none of that. So I don't want to, you know, anybody to be confused about that, but it's like an issue of choose your heart. Fitting into these schools and being, you know, educators in these spaces is hard anyway. It's difficult. There are many challenges. Developing a, a network of independent schools for our children, where our children can be emotionally safe and, physically safe and, you know, is, is also difficult, but I'd rather, you know, it's, it's a greater potential for benefit in the independent space and that with that, with that second alternative, you know? Um, so I just want to be clear if anybody listening, like the truth, the tr we're not going to change white people. We're not. And then, you know, and even if, if we, we could, it's, it's not our job to change them. That's on them. Um, we, we need to, you know, go do our thing. Um, a lot, a lot of times, um, a lot of the conversations, I don't think this one is really like that, but a lot of the conversations end up even in critiquing them, we end up centering them. So we need to be clear about, you know, what the issues are and what we have to deal with because the reality is right now, our children that we care about, that we love, and we take responsibility for are in these spaces controlled by them. Um, but we, I think as long, it's all about end game. You know what I mean? Like end game. If the end game is just to like fix these schools, you're gonna move a certain way. 
But if your end game is like, all right, well, yeah, we might need to tweak some things right now because that's where we happen to be. But but the end goal is like that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we won't have to have these same conversations or like, you know, my son won't be somewhere having these conversations when he's 30 or he's 40, then we're going to move a different way. And I just hope that our end game is full, all out, complete independence, you know? Um, I love that. Because I just think that's, I think that's, I, I know that's, that's got That's got to be the way. It's got to be the way. And it's not going to be easy. It's not. Yeah. But, but this right here is not easy either. So yeah. it's not like this is sweet and this is cool. And, you know, it's like, oh, like, like, man, like, you know, we on the plantation. You really, you really want to run away. It's going to be hard. You got to make your way all the way north. Like, like, bro, it's not cool on the plantation, you know? So while we might have to be on the plantation for now, just, I just want us to be clear that we got to, we got to have that end game clear, like in the all out independence, full control, everything we do, we resp we're responsible for um, from start to finish, top to bottom, left to right. Independence. I, that I love that. G I'm kind of a different thinking though on that. I'm a. <laughs> let me let me ask you. Wait a minute, Karaju, because you you already spoke. So let me let somebody who didn't hold on for a second. Hold on, hold on, brother. G. So you're in alternative spaces, as you say. Right. So how do you feel about that dynamic? Because you work closely with with white women, which is I'm not. We're not attacking white women. We're talking about. The percentages. Uh, talking about white women a whole lot, though. Their space inside <laughs> of school. So right. we're, we're talking about them because it's their eighty percent a part of education, and we need to talk about it. So how do you feel about that, G? Uh, I don't feel any specific way about it. I, I don't. I don't. Um, it doesn't really. I, I, I'm pretty independent. Okay. Um, I run my own program, and I don't have a lot of. Uh, people who I have to answer to for the way that I do things. Oh, you're um, free, bro. You're free. You so, I mean, it's, I mean, I understand exactly. In uh, I think one of the, the most important point about the moment that we're in now that I think is a, a great way to kind of frame this is all of, the, all of the challenges that are in the system, all the ways that the education system is broken in general has been exposed by what's going on. And it's a point where everything has been uh, reimagined. So if there, if you're talking about making a move towards different models of education and doing things independently, this is a window to get motion in that direction because right now the traditional system is under assault because of, you know, the way that education had to shift during the pandemic and all the different ways that people had to learn and all of the ways that things had to be adjusted. There are a lot of things that are on the table now in terms of the way that people learn and the way that people apply their learning to their careers and to their lives. A lot of stuff is on the table now that might not have been on the table had we not gone through the situation that we've gone through. So, you know, you know, sometimes situations, sometimes the turmoil that we're in, in a given moment, whether it's the unrest in the cities around the country or the pandemic, some things that would have happened in 10 years happen in two mm. in the midst of all of those things that, are happening, so it's a moment that can be seized, um, and it's, it's a great it's a great opportunity for people to, you know, take the power that's available to you. And when you know when the table gets flipped, everything is up in the air. Um, so you got you got choices to make at that point. Uh, how you want to rebuild? Um, it's clear it's clear that when things get flipped over and things get messed up, it's got to be put together somehow. And then you know that I see that I see that as an opportunity. 
I love that. That's coming from a free African. Y'all heard that free teacher? That's a free African right there. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, Steve, come on yes, in come here on. and... and and, uh, well, before we do that, though, I, I, I think that maybe if, if uh, a Karaju's point isn't made now, it might get lost in context. Oh, yeah. Sorry, but thank you, Brother G. Go ahead, Karaju. Do you. Brother Foy, you're good, bro. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I think that as black people, we finally we constantly find ourselves uh, caught between like uh, the public versus private argument and and whether or not it's better for us to build things in our own spaces uh, or whether it's better for us to make the overall system work, right? And uh, I'm kind of like more along the lines of like, I think it was Baldwin or somebody. Uh, I, it's like we kind of got to make the system work, you know? It's kind of because in the end, it ends up like Oklahoma, like Black Wall Street. Like we build up whatever we know what the end result is. If you get something and it works good, then you just become easy pickings for that larger group, you know? But by using the laws and the different things that, that white people have created, but uh, I guess they, well, they don't typically have the moral high ground to create the laws that they create, but then they create it and then it ends up being the thing we can get them more, right? So they say everybody's free, even though they don't mean it, <laughs> right? We can then turn around and then use the things and the laws that they put in place to kind of get them in check. Because historically, they don't show any uh, any predilection to like change themselves. It's almost like we're like the conscience of America. You know, it's like if we're not here to constantly remind the remind them of where we where we've been, right? Then we all end up in the ditch. Hmm. You didn't flip the conversation. I love it, but that, that's amazing. That that is totally amazing. Wow. Ah, you said so. Keep the system. Brother Kill said, "Flip the system." You said, right, like I don't like I don't I like Biden's cool. I don't really rock with Kamala, but this is these are the means by which we make change. That's all we got. <laughs> so it's like it's a, always it's a sad flop forward in the progress. You don't put a whole new biscuit in the pot. Here we go. You been in politics. All right, so, so we're gonna we're gonna come back to that, Brother Steve. I want to hear, and I want to hear um, Brother Kareem's take on the population of schools and how you are navigating that with our children. Well, I was right across the street from St. Francis Academy at the new $30 million green school for the juveniles that are creating these felonies. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, that's um, a prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm at the end of the pipeline over there. Yeah, and yeah. Um, if you're from Baltimore, um, you know what happened out in the county. Yeah. And I had all three of them. <laughs> I had all three of them. You, you got to give us context. People don't know. This is people in Japan um, don't know what happened in Baltimore County. The kids, the three kids, they didn't go to school. They were, well, two of them were really smart young men, and their schools weren't supporting them, and they weren't the safe havens that they needed in their lives. And they went out one day and they found a fancy of breaking into homes. Mm. And they, they encountered one home invasion and they almost got caught. And one of the kids accidentally killed an officer, ran the officer over. I had all three of those kids in my classroom. And they killed her, right? It was a lady and they killed her. Yes. Yeah. She, yeah. Died. she died. 
she died. She died. Mm-hmm. One of those kids is at my school. Yeah. 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 Oh, he's out. Okay. Okay. No, he was. He went to. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, interacting with these kids, and the last when they turn eighteen, when they turn eighteen, they leave us. They leave us the day before their birthday, and they go on and serve their sentence. And the child, the three boys that I had, they were phenomenal. They could write, especially this one. He was just phenomenal. He could write, he could reason, but it was just that one day he said he could live, he could redo, he would, he would have done some things differently. Um, as a teacher, I think a teacher needs to be engaging. A teacher needs to be, um, everything to that student that my teachers were that I had three African-American teachers during my high school years and they all impacted me to go into education as well as um, Ms. Gates and I feel as though that when you have a, a teacher that really sees your potential it's a great thing because they, they, they don't get that especially if they come in and out you know, whenever they please, and they don't have the foundations that you and I had. Because remember, growing up in Rochester, New York, I'm a Kodak and Xerox baby. So we always had jobs, you know. Now we're 30 years later, these kids don't have the opportunities that we had. Sure. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's just really sad for these kids. And then you have these youngsters whom are out there and they call the squeegee kids and and they they're doing great things because they want they don't want to do things that are bad they just want to make a dollar to get to the next day and society deems them as being bad and it's just it's just the kids today they're in this they're in this trick bag and you got to be strong and you got to have people there to show you strength and I think that that was the reason why I was in that position with those three kids. And now that they're adults and serving over 40 years apiece, um, it's just really, really sad, especially when you're at that end of the pipeline, seeing those kids about to transition into the adulthood and serve these, these, these um, sentences. So the pipeline has really destroyed our community. But we as educators, we have to give them tools necessary to be to be self-reliant if they get the opportunity to get out and when they get out by giving them the opportunity to get their high school diplomas. And that was one good thing that my principal at that school allowed my kids to do to get their high school diplomas. We had night school, we had day school, we had all we even got the kids that were from 18 to 21 in the other parts of the jail involved so they can continue their education. But, you know, with education, it's just, we as educators, we gotta be very innovative with our craft and how we're gonna deliver what we want to deliver to these kids in a, in a unique fashion. And um, this last semester was an interesting one because they live in the city of Baltimore and we are in a, gentrified gentrification phenomenon here and each day I would show the kids visually the different types of um, state-of-the-art buildings that are coming up in their neighborhoods 
and the majority of the children that I was dealing with were from the west side of Baltimore. So when they seen the bio park and when they've seen Century West apartments, they were like, look, where are we going to stay? So we have to, we got to give them tools and supports to, to, to navigate through this 21st century. And it, it's very difficult, but I, like I say, I still enjoy doing what I'm doing. You know, Let me so. ask a question. So you're saying there's a, there's a school in the prison? In, oh, in my yeah. school, there was. Yeah. It was, well, it was in the juvenile. Yeah. They stay there. So, so there's a principal, there's teachers, there's a whole structure of school in yeah. prison. It's a Baltimore City Public School inside in the jail. Wow. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. Well, amazing. That, 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 wow. So, so we're talking about prison and education for young people in the same space. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because education is liberation. Yeah, exactly. So you educate, and it's not that you can't be educated in prison, but the young people, they establish a school inside of the same place where they're being held. Right, right. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. All right, Brother Kareem, you're coming from a standpoint of um, you hire. So you hiring these 80%. So I need to talk to you, bro. How do, how do you how do you feel about that population because you have the you have the choice to decide and it's not that we should not have white women teachers i don't want anyone to think that i'm attacking them i'm just saying what the population is and so how do you feel about how is that affecting our children per se being administrator principal um it has a huge impact on on our on our students you know representation matters when you don't see um, individuals that look like you in front of you, in front of you, you know, it has a huge impact on um, on your education. And we all know that a huge part of education is relationships. So if you have somebody in front of you that you can't relate to or that can't you can't build a relationship with to you, with with you, it automatically impacts your your education. Um, so for me, but you know, like the brother uh, Sadiq said, you know. Um, you have that you have that duality of trying to you know stay true to yourself and still be an administrator at the same time. Um, but I, I think that's what I like the beauty about being an administrator, especially administrator in a charter school, because I'm able to do things that um, a principal in a district cannot do. Um, I have a leeway to do certain things that um, allow students to get an education. So if I want to you know, have students read W.E.B. Du Bois. If I want students to to uh, have a performance arts class as opposed to a traditional music class, I can do so, um, and, and and give them that education that that they that they deserve and that they need. Um, you hire the best candidates you can um, when they when um, to help educate them, and then also, um, you know, they'll leave. You know, if if if, if a, a, a teacher doesn't want to teach the boys, they're going to leave. If they don't like the culture that you set, that you set up, they'll, they'll leave. Um, it, it's really that simple. And you'll, and you'll find out the teachers that really want to be there for your students really fast when you set a culture and you set a curriculum where you set a tone that they don't, you know, that, that they don't want to want adhere to. Right. So, um, you know, they'll leave. I think that's the beauty, you know, of being an administrator. But I do understand what, you know, Brother Sadiq is saying, you know, because I was at a school where 
um, as an administrator, I didn't fit because I, I stayed true to myself. So, you know, I, you know, they made the decision to go in another direction, but now I'm in a place where, you know, who I am and how, how I rock as a principal, you know, on the betterment for my students, they love it. They, you know, they respect me. They, they, they support me. You know, Mr. Parker, I tell you, I, I, I'm a big Chuck guy. I walk around the school with Chucks on because that's who I am. I don't, you know, I, I might wear shoes some days. I might wear Chucks another day. School, bro. You got butters in, butters in Philly? Yeah, no, yeah, I wear, yeah, I wear Chuck Taylors all the time. Oh, you got um, Chuck guy, Chuck Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, it's, 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 you have to make that, you have to make that tough decision. But, you know, I'm on the mindset of, you know, the, you create the culture that you want and the people that want to be on the ship leave and the people that want to be on the ship will do what they need to do. Um, it was a, it was a hard decision for me to, you know, to lead a classroom. Cause like the other brother said, you know, when I came, became a Dean, that's like the entry level to administrator, you know, um, and that's the, like, that's the disciplinarian, that's the culture guy. Right. So, um, you know, one of my mentors, he said, you know, you can get pigeonholed and stuck being a dean. So I had to prove that, you know, I knew academics. I had to prove that I knew instruction in order because when you are in administration, you can be pigeonholed as, you know, the vice principal of student culture, the vice principal of discipline. So you got to make sure that you don't get pigeonholed in, in that. But um, yeah, I, that's what I like about being an administrator. It was hard to lead a classroom, but you know, I was able to impact, like I'm able to impact more, you know, by, by um, being able to create policies and create curriculum that, you know, re represent our students. Um, so, so you know, that's what I like about, you know, about being an administrator, but I do understand that everybody doesn't have that luxury because I, I'm in a charter school. So if you're in a district, you don't have that luxury to do the different, to do the different things that I, that, that I have. That's a beautiful thing. I think um, a lot of people will be in a situation like that. Chappelle's show sketch when keeping it real goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Meet Jamal. <laughs> he graduated at the top of his class. And then, you know, he go all the way up and then just one day just snap like, ah. <laughs> That's real. And it's always, and then you out there at the gas station washing windshields. That's real. That's real. <laughs> So I want to get to what um, Brother Karaji brought up. He said that we should fix schools and we should, uh, should you know, make the schools culturally sensitive to Black children. Um, but Brother Keel said independent is the end game. So how do you guys feel about that? Because I'm more of independent because we're able to create our own space. But Brother Karaj, you said once you create your own space, they come in and take it or they break it up or whatever. So how you guys feel about that? Kennedy? I, I, got, a mixed, I got a mixed bag with that. Um, so just a little bit of backstory. So uh, down in Baltimore, it was a unique culture. Um, and a lot, it was a lot of room for independent learning and independent cross training from different disciplines. And um, the thing that I like to bring into the classroom is, you know, this all might burn down in five years. So whether or not we're fighting to maintain the, the current structure or building our own, 
there's a particular set of special skills you have to have in either arenas. Uh, where, where you end up, independent or still a part of the public system, is, you know, that's your acumen to end up there. But if you don't end up in either of those with a particular survival skill, then it's not going to matter if you have an independent or something sponsored by the state. Now, ultimately, it's always better to have your own. Uh, like nobody want to stay in their mama house forever. Like you always want to have yours if it's possible. But more importantly than that, I think you have to develop some core skills that would support either area. For example, um, we did see a lot of, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't even like to use this. Uh, what's that term they used to say for black? Uh, not, uh, uh, I don't even use it no more. But when they, whenever they wanted to describe black children who were in peril, <clears throat> they used to say not. Oh, at risk. At risk. That was the so terminology that, to get all these prison for profits. Going. Right. So understand something. You could get your own school, but if the people driving it are more focused on grant money, it's still going to be the same setup. Wow. Now what you want, what you want is people who are driven to turn out independent thinkers with a special skill set. You could do that in a public school, but you're going to fight to do that in a public school. That's not going to be something you can do without hindrance of other teachers feeling jealous or feeling that you're too connected to a student, but that's not going to dissipate and go away sister just cuz you got an independent environment. Now, I'm, I'm for independent, but that's a special kind of environment that must be built with those things in mind because you could go to Ann Casey right now in Baltimore, and if your grant proposals sound fly enough, you could probably get some people on your board of directors like like I can get a, I can get Steve. He got credentials. I can get some people. I can get a few pastors. I can get some people with, with some heavyweight PhDs behind it, and, they, and, and if they're, as long as they're checking to make sure I'm doing the right thing with the money, guess what? I can do an independent school. But what's, what's the heart of your teaching? Like, are you, are, you, are you just wanting to be independent or are you focusing on those things that would allow your student to be independent afterwards? So that's why I came up with a program called Boys to Men, named after the group. Originally, uh, Steve might know some of this history. Originally, I'm from Boston, and I was a transplant here, came through Morgan. And, uh, you know, Bobby Brown and all those, that was a part of my upbringing. So Boys to Men was the proper way to spin it. Like, look, a maturity program. So anybody who's listening now, you know, amongst our comrades, you know the fight that you have. Because uh, I want to say, I guess I'm being long with it, but I want to say this, that 80% white woman is not really an issue to us in the classroom until you want to do something outside of what the norm is. That's when they become an issue. On an everyday basis, I don't worry about, I don't think about them. I don't even think about the fact that those seven classrooms are white teach. I don't even think about that because I'm going to go right to my area and I'm going to be, prof you know, proficient in my area to the point where 
when I go into the teacher's lounge, if I even go in there anymore, they're going to be asking me, hey, your student Jamal was telling me something you did in class. That's the measurement that I'm going for. I'm trying to be the best teacher they ever had. So I ain't even, be, I ain't even worried about the, the, uh, whether there's a, a majority of white girls. But I know when you start a program, this is when they become a hindrance. Because now you have to go through all of these checks and balances to do something outside of the norm for your kids. And that's where we see the most problems. When I wanted to take them to an all-black college field trip to the, uh, to the Atlanta field trip, magically, we had, we had the budget. But we had the budget for basketball games, for football teams. We became one of the elite football powers in this, in this whole Northeast corridor. Yep. But, but yep. if I said, hey, can we take, can we take some interested students to Spelman and Morehouse, they just say, oh, we don't have the budget. So they become a hindrance when you want to go outside of the norm. But every day, let me say something to you like this, Queen. They don't really bother black men on an everyday basis. They bother you when you're doing something outside of the norm that they don't understand or they can't be better than you at. Mm. Because black, black men are the best when you allow us to corral our group of people together and leave us alone. If you leave us alone, we can do what we're supposed to do. So they don't bother us on the everyday. They bother you when you want to try to challenge the budget. They bother you when you want to do an alternative learning program that's not in the prescribed curriculum. Or they bother you if you don't go through the, the channels. Because keep in mind, the public, school, the public school system is set up with a lot of people whose jobs are riding on advising you, or they might be um, auxiliary to your classroom. They might be giving you lesson plans. They might be team teaching. They might be doing all kinds of things that depend on you fitting into their group. So when you start doing this alternative stuff outside, that's when they start saying, well, wait a minute, that's not what you're supposed to do. But I don't want you to think that we're tortured on a daily basis because they know who to play with and who not to play with from the rip. They know that, Queen. Okay, that's a whole new dimension. What you guys think about that, Sadiq? You smiling. What you think about that? So when, when, I, when they talk about the argument between uh, kind of like our system of independent, I think we should think larger about what independence means. Because um, like I heard the brother talk about, you know, you're independent until you need a spe specific grant. Whoever's donating that money really is the one pulling the strings behind the policies and procedures that's going on in a school. So I think independence isn't, and education isn't dependent upon people in education, but you know, I think the community has to put together practices, mindsets, ideologies, and policies that will help fund our own schools and hospitals and supermarkets and real estate and land independence isn't you right. can't do it in a vacuum otherwise you like that and that's kind of i don't think we're talking about independence in that vacuum because that is impossible when we talk about independence and education we need to be talking about becoming independent entities within the nation um it is quite it is quasi political but i think independence can be independent of politics in, in, a, in a way because there are various communities that move independently, um, secretly. Um, I know there's people who are proponents of like 
uh, black nationalism and things like that. And I'm not even, I don't disagree with that, but that's not even what I'm talking about. I, I do think that we can find a means or a way to gain our independence um, in a secular sense. Um, so for example, um, and this is, this is kind of utopian, but for example, it could be Floyd Mayweather do donating $60 million to so-and-so program to open up um, a small town in Tulsa or anywhere. There's just certain things that brothers around the country are doing. So when I, when I think about independence, I'm thinking largely about communal independence and then how that communal independence is gonna impact education. I don't think we can do that in a vacuum, nor should we. I do think we need to be independent holistically um, mm -hmm. to really achieve what we want, which I think is the larger end goal of why we became educators in the first place. Well, I like that. So you're saying independence has to be partnered with the community of independence. Right. Well, the banks, the food, the, the community that we live in, it can't just be the school on this independent space and then everybody's dependent on the other part. Exactly. I get that. I think I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Whole lot of sense. Hmm. All right. Um. You start. You open this box, brother Karaju. So let me hear what you got to say. You opened it. You opened it. <laughs> so talk to us. It's just the box we all live in. I'm just acknowledging it. <laughs> That's it. You're right. You're right. Um, right. Because right now we kind of living in a time where. Uh, the majority has used uh, charter schools and different methods to basically uh, resegregate the school system. You know, so we're now as separated as we were, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Um, and it, I think the error that we make, because like I said, I think we're kind of like the conscience, right, of the country and whatnot. I think the error we make is when we try to find solutions in like white people's nonsense. You know, like if you are doing what white folk are doing as a fix for whatever your problem is, that's not going to get solved. You know, <laughs> it's like so if they want to all break off and start their own schools and, you know, and start start have their own curriculums. Right. And we look up 20, 30 years and you got look at Mississippi, Alabama, West Virginia, like the people who are the most striding in those efforts. Right. Are seeing <laughs> like uh, a softness in the head that's become associated with the entire system, you know? Um, and I think if we uh, try to, it's kind of like you see black people run around now trying to like, we're gonna start a black NRA. It's like, what? So we can shoot each other too? It's like, it's like, like if you're talking like all those, those different things, it's like white folk have been doing that for the last, you know, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, starting little uh, militia groups and, you know, teaching their kids all types of nonsense. And I kind of feel us like on that precipice where everybody is, is kind of leaning that way you know and i think that the real answer is just a little bit more uh delicate you know and it requires a, a little more finesse you know like there's no intelligent design in racism you know it's usually like just hardened form of stupidity that white people just kind of take advantage of right and the way how we've been able to survive and thrive in this country is because when we uh basically go above and beyond we exceed expectations we have to do all these other things instead of like actually like maybe learning the system right and then uh trying to manipulate it but you, know, you said you don't want to hear none of that you know <laughs> the end game is independent so this brother 
he brought something out and, and, and I get it. I don't know about the, um, I think we do need, I don't think we need the NRA, but I think we have to arm ourselves in some way. When someone's hunting you, you got to stop that hunt. So, um, I'm if not it's saying- Elmer Fudd and you see he keeps shooting himself in the head and shooting himself in the foot, just let him. Well, I ain't going to shoot myself <laughs> yeah, If you come up in here, you're not going to get shot in the foot, bro. So anyway, brother, <laughs> brother Kill, uh, you said independent. You said that's the right. end game for, for schooling, for education, for black children. Because really, this is about children flourishing. And I don't see us flourish, our children flourishing. So what do you think about kind of repairing the system and working within it? Do you, do you feel anything about that? I mean, it's essentially, I think of, I think of Huey Newton. I mean, like, I let, I let history like dictate, like, you know, I think of Huey Newton and the Black Panther Party, like their 10 point plan, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was a survival plan pending revolution. So they understood that the real goal is revolution, but these are just some things we're gonna do right now because our people got to eat today, you know, uh, to go visit their loved ones in prison today. They need uh, sickle cell testing today. Um, they need a free breakfast program because schools weren't offering, public schools weren't offering breakfast to the, to the students. So they go into school, stomach growling, hungry, can't really focus. Um, so he's like, we're doing this today. But um, in terms of fixing, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of over, like overall, as a, again, end game. I think, I think the end game is, is key. And I think that, you know, kind of like what Sadiq alluded to is that, we can't look at this within a vacuum. Um, there's been a debate within the black community since we've been, since Africans were brought, you know, and of course, you know, Africans were traveling across the Atlantic Ocean prior to the Mayafa and the transatlantic slave trade and everything. But um, since the slave trade began and we set foot on this this uh, continent um, or this landmass, um, there's been a, de- a political debate among us between integrationism and nationalism. So, and it plays itself out in all different aspects of our existence. Um, even if you talk about like, you know, Martin Delaney, who's seen as the, the, go- the grandfather of black nationalism um, by some in the 19th century, you know? Um, so, you know, education is just one of those battlefronts. And I think that we, 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 gotta, be, we gotta be independent because, you, you know, when you look at the amount of effort and energy and labor and intellectual labor and emotional labor that will be expended trying to fix this. And, and we, we've never seen any real examples of it being fixed. And I don't think we should, you know, and when, and when we study more of the history and see like a, how a lot of the efforts that people are um, putting forth even today, like it's been done before, like, you know, Ocean, Ocean Hill Brownsville in the 1960s, because it is a valid argument when people, when for a person to say, well, you know what, I go to work, and I pay payroll taxes, I pay state taxes, my taxes go to support this school. So if I divest from this school, then I need my money, I need my tax dollars. So what they did in Ocean Hill Brownsville is attempt to push for community control of the schools. But then we get into the issue with, you know, the black community gets into the issue with the Jewish community in Brooklyn, and they don't wanna give up that power and that control. They don't wanna allow the black, um, you know, black women in the community or, you know, black fathers and black mothers in the community to decide who's going to be the principal of the school, who's going to be the teachers in the school, because they want to maintain that power. Right. So the thing, so then they, so then a lot of those people then go off and say, well, you know, we got to just build our own thing and we should build our own thing. But here's the thing, like brother, the brother brought up um, Tulsa 
And we can learn a lot from Tulsa. We can learn a lot from all of the communities that were thriving and that we controlled and owned. But one of the things that we have to take away from those experiences is that you have to be able to protect whatever you, whatever you own. And I think that's a very important conversation about knowing, you know, being able to protect things and not underestimating your enemies and who they are and what they're capable and willing to do. And I think that's oftentimes, you know, a lot of times we're too quote unquote, well, I guess it goes to the def your definition of morality. Like what is your definition of morality? Is it, is it moral to just let somebody shoot you? You know, um, sometimes, you know, and not that our ancestors haven't done it. Our ancestors have always been fighting. We've always been fighting. Um, you know, Charles Cobb has the book, We Will Shoot Back. You know, not, uh, not, not We Will Shoot Back, that's somebody else. That nonviolent stuff will get you killed is the title of his book, talking about how if it wasn't for brothers and, brothers and sisters that had guns, the civil rights movement would have never happened. But just the way that it's marketed as if, you know, you know, we were just marching. You know, we were just, you know, on Edmund Pettus Bridge getting hit in the head with bricks. You know, that's not really, that's not really the whole story. You know, so I just think we definitely have to be able to protect whatever we build and whatever we create. And I think these are the conversations that we have to be having with young people, with kindergarten students and first grade students and middle school students in terms of like developing for the future. Because, you know, the, as late John Herbert Clark said, like, you know, the purpose of education is to train youth to be responsible handlers of power. This is really about power. This is not even really about racism. Racism is a tangential issue. Racism is secondary. When you have power, the racism becomes irrelevant. Um, as Kwame Touré said, if a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. But if the white man has the power to lynch me, that's my problem. And right now, and for a very long time, they have had the power to lynch us. So that's why we have to, so that's why we have the, we have the issues that we have. The issue is, is, a, is a power imbalance. And we gotta, do, we gotta do whatever we can to gain power. And the power comes from institutions, um, propagandizing differently to our people. And again, that just being the end goal. The end goal should just, like, I'm just a staunch advocate for independence. In the meantime, um, I mean, this the system is, is very, is, the totality of the system is such that, you know, you, I guess you could, but I don't, I don't know how to completely divest right now. You know I mean? How would I get groceries? How would I, you know, have electricity in my house? How would I have Wi-Fi? But again, that's why it's all about the end goal. Because the end goal is going to inform what you do now, and hopefully what you're doing now is going to push us towards a different place, you know, years from now. But this, is, this has been an ongoing um, um, question um, within the Black community. Um, and I think, actually, I think that this question has been kind of swept under the rug. And I think overall, many of us have just accepted the fact that integrationism, or some would argue assimilationism, because I think integrationism presupposes that your, your group already has a certain amount of power and that then you come to the table, to a table with other groups that have power and then you, we can do like the whole like, you know, we can apply like the melting pot theory or not. But assimilationism is when we don't even, your group doesn't even have any power and you're just trying to get in where you fit in with the groups that do have power. Yeah. So, and then if these groups know that, that that's where you're coming from, then why would they respect us? You know, why would they respect you? If you're not coming, if you're not moving from a space of power, so we, I think we have to get there, and we have to first decide that that's what we want, um, and it doesn't have to be 40 million black people, because I think that's something all the 40 million black people in this country, because I think that's something that um, causes people to get burnt out and feel that we can't do it. We really, just need like a almost like a vanguard group, 
you know, like a, like a, a critical mass, like a small amount of committed individuals. And we don't need to, you know, ask people's permit. We don't need to get permission from 40 million black people either. We just need to have some people that are committed and willing and, and want to do it. Because, I mean, when you look at, like, we look at anything, I mean, that's how anything goes. Not, no, the 40 million people, or the whole group never agrees on anything. You just have some, a small group of dedicated individuals, relatively small, I should say, um, of dedicated individuals that just decide that this is what we're going to do. And then they just do it. And then everybody else just kind of follows suit because by them doing what they decided to do, now they're providing for people the things that people need, the food, the clothing, the shelter, the entertainment, and so on and so forth. So I just think that, um, yeah, those are just those are just my thoughts about it. Um, the focus on power and you know education being key, and it really and it really being a, a battleground. These schools are battlegrounds. And I think we have to talk to our, our children like that and let them know that like this is like guerrilla warfare. Like when they're in these schools, they're behind enemy lines, and we as educators, we're behind enemy lines. Like this is war. This is not sweet. This is not fun. Um, I mean, it can be fun, but overall, this is political. This is intellectual warfare. You know, this is is not a is is not a game because this is this is about you know, we're, bat we're trying to train our children to so that they'll be equipped to battle for resources. But oftentimes what happens is the goal in these schools is for our children to be able to just assimilate and help or maintain their control over the resources through neo-colonialism, which is something that's been going on forever, this neo-colonialism. And then that's when we get into the issues of, you know, the symbolism and the political figures and all of that. And then, you know, these examples of so-called black excellence and so-called success that a lot of us don't question, you know, we got to question it. Like, you know, is it, what is this so-called accomplishment or achievement or this new position or this political position or this corporate position? What does it do for the collective of black people? Not only just in, in the United States, but throughout the whole diaspora. What does it do for us, you know, in the, uh, you know, on the, on the continent? What does it do for us in the, in the Caribbean or the West Indies or in South America? What does it, what does it do? You know? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop right there. I've said a lot. <laughs> no, I'm listening to you, bro. We're listening, bro. I'm listening to you. I'm getting you. You muted. You muted. I love, you, I love what you said. You came hard, and I love what you said. An old totality, and that power, that power piece. And brother Kareem, you're you're a principal, a CEO of a charter school, so that that presents power. So how does that per se? help the space of black children in your school because you can create there yeah i can create there but i'm just one school so like to what you know what what a kill is saying what mr parker is saying is that you know um that's my 450 students that of uh, that go to my school but what about the entire city of chester what about all of the other students that aren't in my school or what about the students that are you know in philadelphia or in baltimore um you know there aren't, you know, a lot of, you know, male principles, black male principles that, you know, that think, you know, the way that I think or, or have the best interests of African-American children in the school at heart. I mean, we talked about it a little bit today, you know, um, there are company men and yes men in these positions. So they're not doing always what's in the best interest of students. And, you know, when you go the other route, you, there is a price to pay you know, um, well, potentially could be a price to pay. Um, and, you know, these administrators have family, these administrators have different things. So they always don't want to, you know, take that position. Um, but there is an opportunity 
when you do it right and you 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 know set it up and put yourself in a great position where you can provide like right now you know there's if I want to do a mentor group or if I want to do a social emotional group for you know for for the sisters or the young ladies in my school I can do it I don't have any I don't have any red tape I don't have anything stopping me you know like the gentleman said you know you want to do a, a college tour I find the funds we get it done I don't have to deal with any of those other things that other people you know other, other situation has so I'm kind of on the fence you know that's what kind of makes me you know, lean towards, you know, doing our own thing because it gives us the opportunity to create, you know, all of the different things that, that, that are, um, that our young people need, you know, we referenced, we referenced the past, you know, like I agree with Mr. Parker, we referenced the past, we referenced Tulsa and we represent those things. Those are different times now. We're, we're better equipped to, 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 to deal, to make sure that, you know, they don't just wipe out our independent schools. We're, we're, we're better educated. We're better, we have better resources. We have better, you know, artillery, for lack of a better term, no pun intended, to to make sure that the demise of Tulsa doesn't ha- doesn't happen when we create independent schools now. Um, but you know, I am in the system, you know, so I do think, um, you know, you do have to navigate, you know, you do have to navigate this system for for the for the best interest of our students, but. You know, the, the charter movement, although people might disagree with the charter movement, however they feel you know, it does give you latitude to do some different things for our students. So imagine what, you know, if we took the charter school movement, just the principles of, of being able to, the freedom to do things, not the whole, not the, how charter schools are, are, are set up or where they get funded from, but just the freedom that charter schools have to do things. If we took that to an independent level, just imagine what we could do. Hmm. That's, that's powerful. And you you work within that environment. And a lot of people like um, Steve. You're you're in actually Baltimore City Schools. So how do you yield your independence within this system with the with the children because they need it? You know what? <clears throat> you really you in you in a trick bag sometimes. And the the thing with where I was last year. Um, long as I had those standards, those core standards for the state. Absolutely. And if I had the, 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 the objectives worded correctly and stuff about the subject matter that I, I am about to teach, they were fine, you know. And then my situation was all totally different because I was teaching incarcerated youth. I was teaching the last piece of the pipeline. And that was supposed to be just sit there, don't do nothing. But I refused that. So I found things that the kids were dealing with within their communities. Gentrification, that's the biggest thing they're dealing with right now. And how they're being outsourced to the county to let people come in the city. So I showed them how that came about and how the times were cha- are changing. And, and, you know, and long as I had my my eyes crossed, my dot, eyes dotted and my T's crossed, I was fine. But if I did something that the principal didn't want me to do, I couldn't do it. So it's, 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 it's. So you teach within a realm of control. Yeah, yeah. To a point. And, and then with my principal, my former principal, she had a problem with showing videos. Right. But right. I, I don't understand. Or 
playing music in the classroom. Right. Wow. You're you know? entertaining them. You're not educating them. Right, right. Them. Right. And, and she she found fault in that. But I I overcame that. But Because I've been in your classroom and you have music. I've been yeah. in your classroom. Yeah, yeah. So you had a principal that didn't like that. She really didn't. She really didn't like it. But we worked around it. And, you know, the good thing is when you create that rapport with your students and your students still know you from when you had them. Like the kids when you used to come to my mm -hmm. classroom, I'm still in contact with them. And they're almost 40 years old. Wow. You know, and um, if you're a good teacher, students will remember you. Long as you know how to navigate through the bureaucratic BS to get your message across, you straight. Um, and to piggyback on the independence, that would be phenomenal if we could be independent. Definitely independent. Independence is the way to go. But while you're in front of your African-American children, you got to give them activities that are high interest and sometimes not low impact, or but something that they can relate to and that they can expound on. And you will see them flourish. And that's cultural sensitivity. Yeah. And a lot of that's not in school. You know, they expect to change the children to, to another culture and they're not, that's not their culture. Right. And another thing I like is yoga. I, I like yoga all of a sudden. And I incorporated that in my classroom. Well, let me see you do something for us. No, no, it's like, you know, it's my <laughs> moments and stuff crouch, like that. Crouching dog, right? right. No, he and, stood yeah. up. Then you see him stand up? Yeah, you, I think you did one of the poses for me, bro. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, social emotional learning is very, and restorative practice is very much needed in the classroom exactly. in the 21st century. Exactly. Because you don't know what you're going to wake up and get the next day. You have some kids that have trials coming up. Mm-hmm. And then you have some kids that have parents that come and see them every day or every Friday. So, you know, you have to have a classroom that ad adapts to change and you can be, you know, ready for it. And I'm a pro, I'm pro restorative practice, pro yoga and pro social emotional learning. I love it. Pro yoga. I yeah. tell you, black men are revolutionary. I love y'all. They got it. these brothers from Patterson. We got our brothers from Patterson that has this program here in Baltimore City. And the, the boys, the I forgot the name of And, they, and they bring yoga to the school? They bring yoga to the schools. Amazing. Here in Baltimore City. Amazing, amazing. And they tell their stories. And the, and the boys, they gravitated to it. And they, they really like it. And they look forward to every Friday going to yoga. And this is in prison, though? This our school is a jail. Right. <laughs> it's not a prison. City, but, city I mean, high school. Oh, yeah, it's sorry. a city. It's a Baltimore okay. City high school. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Baltimore it's so City sad high school. That it, it has to be there, you know. Yeah, it, it's really yeah. sad. It's really sad. It's really you sad. know? And my kids, when um I taught them about Amy Sherrard, mm -hmm. I taught them about Ernest Shaw. These are prominent people here in Baltimore City. The that they see here mm -hmm. in Baltimore City. And in one, one class period, they had to create their own um, picture, just like Amy Sherrard did Michelle Obama's picture, mm -hmm. to put up in their, in their cell, you know, to promote greatness and black, black love and just loving on themselves, so. Amazing. But Amazing. you know what, Queenie, let me, I don't want to jump over anybody, but I want to say that that 
I don't know that I see, I think that's more of a blessing. I don't think that that's a sad thing because I've actually visited the jail before. A few of my students have been over there for some stupid stuff. And um, have you been to the new one? No, not when they re when they renovated it and yeah, added yeah. the little piece. No, I I was the one before they knocked it down. Oh, okay. See, yeah, we're yeah. we're entirely different from them. I gotta come Baltimore visit you. Baltimore City. Yeah. All right, I gotta set up a visit then. Yeah, but check, set up but a check this out. This is what I want. This is what I wanted to say about that. I don't think I think that's a good thing, Queenie, because okay. what if the brother wasn't there, and we had another uh, eighty percenter. Uh in charge of That's what you giving call. them some skills. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I applaud you, brother. And I know that your work in the community is a legitimate work. Um, anybody who does it that long, yeah, you've already found a comfort zone that the eighty percent is like non-existent to you. Yeah, so they, they don't even. They don't, they don't even, even. They don't come even on my radar. I'm just. I right. just do what I need to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But what I wanted to say is this, um, now that I am not in education anymore, I get to reflect back on it. And one of my saddest reflections is that, like, we have all of these people in different cities that are not connected. And that's a problem. It was the same problem for Malcolm and Martin. We gonna wait till after they die, and then we gonna say, oh, they should have connected. Nah. We have a lot of brilliance, particularly in Philadelphia. I wish yeah. I could remember the name of the school that I did an orient a teacher orientation in Philadelphia. It was a charter school as well. I know that it was um uh it wasn't in West Philadelphia, but um it was I know the school was all red and white. It had, it had just been repainted. And uh, a cousin of mine brought me there who was an administrator to do an orientation. And what I found is the first 20 minutes, the kids asked more about the culture of the Baltimorean kids than anything. I was there to do a lecture on how to do a proper, a formal research paper. But we didn't get to that. That, yeah. we, we, I had, you know, we couldn't cover all of that because so much time was spent for them saying, oh, well, what about the wire? And what about this? And what yeah. about that? So what that means is, what, we don't have a right as black males to really try to fix things from the outer before we correct some things on the inside. There's, we got some disconnections, right? Like most of us grew up around our cousins and around our friends and now it's different. Everybody's on their own you know, volition, but the truth is we would be much more successful if we found a way to link that private school situation with that, with that um, Baltimore City Jail experience with that Catholic school, uh, because where you find uh, black students in need, you find them pretty much everywhere across the United States. The problem is, just like slavery, until you know you're not alone, you do feel like you're fighting the whole plantation by yourself. But as soon as uh, Nat Turner runs into Billy Johnson and he goes into, he telling you that he's going to meet with Sojourner in three or four days and they got to hook up with Frederick Douglass until there's a coalition that's connected. We will feel outnumbered by the 80%, but that's our job to do. We got to start from the inside and make some important connections internally 
so that when we go outside and get our own, we're already, we have a matrix of help because we don't have a matrix. I wish I could have called out on Brother Steve Moore for more jail uh, field trips. We used to take field trips to Baltimore City Jail. All of a sudden, we didn't have the budget to do that. Um, I wish I could take my kids to Philly to kick it with Brother Akil. Why can't I go to Chester, PA? Why can't, why can't I do that? So it's up to us to make those connections and make it happen. I like that. I like that. Coalesce amongst the schools and amongst ed educators. So, G, you're in an independent situation. You said you run your old program, so you're already Nat Turner. But we're trying to find out, well, how do you feel about the independent, like building independent schools that are bereft of this system that we're in now? How do you feel about that? Um, I don't I don't really have much of a comment on it. I, I don't have I don't have a lot of experience inside the system. So okay. I don't you you know, I don't really have much to say. I can only speak to sort of the things that I'm doing and the way that it supplements um supplements the education system for all people. So I don't, I don't really have a, a, a lot of insights on that. Well, that's great because you, 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 you're, and so in other words, you're not infected. You're just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't really have, I don't really have much to say about that. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I didn't come through the system that way. So I don't have a, a, a very good um, reference point. Um, I, I understand from the standpoint of the students that I work with are coming from, traditional school settings and, you know, they have a certain way, a certain expectation of uh, how learning and education works that's very different from what they get when they're with me. But in terms of um, building, uh, you know, I just don't have a lot of insight on that. Got it, got it. And, and, that's, and that's real right there. So, all right, this is what I, this is probably my number one question. Black boys. Black boys in schools, are um, overdiagnosed. Um, they're on IEPs. Um, they are targeted as they can't keep still. They're, all of these issues that is on the child. How do we change the environment for black children? You guys are black men in school. What what do you do to try to make that that environment for them? Because it's very very it's an attack mode for them all the time. And me, I remember me in school as a black girl, it, I felt attacked. So I I know black boys, especially in this modernized system we're in now. What have you What are you guys doing to to kind of impact them in a positive way where they can go forward and and, and flourish? Anybody jump in? I, I don't want to call. Or, or raise your hand. You're in school. Uh, raise your hand. Like I said, I, I do show them the black now. college experience. I show them homecoming videos. Mm -hmm. I show them stepping. I yeah. show them, you know, I show them things that I, I, I endured and I witnessed. Or I show them fashion shows. Or I show them shoes. Because they, they love to see Mr. Weber's shoe. What you got on the day? You know, <laughs> how did you get them? And my famous line, education. Mm, that's how I got it. So you got to engage them like that because they're not going to go with that rote memory, that book. You got to meet them where they are. And right now, entertainment and fashion is where, and, you know, um, homecomings for me and college tours, virtual college tours work for me. And they okay. work for me. 
but, I think, and, and, but I also want to explore like when they're being attacked and just for being a black boy, not just particularly showing them things they haven't seen because that's important. I'm restore the practices, restore the practices. Okay. Having a meeting, talking okay. stuff out. For me, for me, it's creating, creating one, creating policies that aren't aren't punitive. So like, you know, Steve is saying, making sure that we have restorative conversations, restorative circles, um, make sure that the social emotional side of my school um, is just as important as the academics. So at my school, we have social workers, we have a dean, we have counselors, you know, we have, you have those different, those different avenues that when, you know, students get upset, it's not just, you know, suspension, it's, it's talking to somebody, you know, making sure that they have an avenue you know, to talk about making sure me and my dean are on the same page, um, you know, because I get pushback, you know, because a lot of teachers, um, and not just 80 percenters, but... Kareem, can you tell us, what do you mean your dean? So your dean... So, is so, so my dean, so I have a dean of, so I have a dean of student and culture, right? So I talked about how the dean typically okay. deals with, you know, with discipline, okay. right? But I, I make sure that me and my dean has the same vision, has the same expectations that I have in regards to you know, um, how we feel about treating, you know, our, our young men or how we feel about treating our students. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, teachers want blood. So when they come to me, they want them suspended. <laughs> they want this, they want detentions, they looking for blood. So a lot of times we don't give them what they want. Because, you know, um, you know, a shove is very different than a fight. A full on fist fight. And they, and they don't need to be treated the same. So, you know, it, it, and so a lot of times, you know, um, you know, they don't, they, they want blood. They want the student to get the highest extent to the law, but that's not going to happen under my, <laughs> under my leadership, you know, or, you know, we, you know, my Dean has it all the time. You know, I have all the time. We, you know, such and such happened in the classroom. You interviewed a kid. It totally didn't happen the way that they said it. And then you ask them, well, Oh no, I didn't get a chance to talk to him. What? Like that's what needs to happen, right? So you like you, you should talk and really find out before you just send somebody to us. So for me, it's just creating, you know, creating policies. You know, at my um, at the school that uh, that I'm at now, the school that I was at prior, you know, I created a, you know, um, a reflection sheet. So where students, you know, have a time to write their thoughts down, you know, could they can reflect and they should have a conversation with the teacher, right? So there's not the there's not the back and forth, right? You know, um, sometimes a lot of, especially our, our young men, you know, need that opportunity to reflect, really think, you know, they don't need the teacher berating them. They need just a minute to, you know, get their thoughts so they can really say how they feel, really say what's going on. Um, so, you know, I, I brought that into the school, but then you still have to, you know, worry about teachers just throwing a reflection sheet at the student, not having a dialogue, Mm -hmm. you know, totally missing the point of what the reflection sheet is about. So, um, you know, for me, it's just, you know, creating policies, creating things in there, really focusing on the social emotional side, like Steve said, you know, really focus on restorative conversations and restorative practices and just, you know, keep reiterating that to your staff. And then, like I said, you know, the staff that don't want to engage in conversation, the staff that we telling them, no, you have to sit down and meet with the parent. Yes, you have to talk to the student again they'll leave your school yeah. because they don't want to get with the culture of what you're trying to, you know, anticipate, you know, trying to have at the school. 
Like parent communication is a must. If you don't want to do that, then this is not the school for you. Right, right. Mm. So it's yeah. very important that I'm hearing is to have black males in leadership because you understand a young black male. Yeah. It's, it's important, you know, because like you said, the teachers want blood. Right. They're angry and they want something done. And usually it's to remove that student or to be punitive. So I think it, having black males like you in that space to make that final decision definitely makes it a, a smoother process for, for young black males. And, so, and also, um, also, I'm sorry, can I just that. say something real quick? Sure, 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 say something. Um, here in Baltimore City, we have 90-minute blocks now of instruction. What's that? Can you imagine 90 minutes of straight instruction? Wow. That's the class time for, per period. So I, I created, um, after social emotional, I do, you do, we do. And um, I used stuff from Baltimore. I used Taneshi Coates. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I start reading. And then I pass it to the next brother. And he read, they know that we're going to read for 15 minutes about something about, this was last year's. Okay. This year's, we're focusing on the five days what? by West oh. Okay. And this yeah. is going to be the I do, we do. You got to do stuff that interests them, you know. And this is um, primarily about Baltimore and the riots and stuff. Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. got to find stuff like that. And then to piggyback on the brother, the principal, you know, that exit ticket must be something personal about that child's learning experience. So I, I agree with you on that, 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 that exit ticket, reflection, we call it exit tickets. Yeah. It must reflect. You know, yeah. what you learn that day. One way, one way tickets. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got it. All right, Sadiq, come on into that. I want to. I want to hear what you got to say up there in Philly. I think for me, um, one of the hardest things for me to like try to deal with is understanding. Like I said before, like schools are kind of like they're agents of the state, and I think that you know if we're living in a society that is constantly under that's constantly putting black boys kind of under their foot, under, you know, putting a foot on their neck. School is just a microcosm of that. So um, I think one of the things that I try to do is just create a safe space for, you know, the little boys and girls in my class to find purpose. I think, I think the mission of a lot of the schools that we have differ from the missions that our kids have. So they had, it's, it's just a, it's a large, class it's a constant clash and I think um you know a lot of times even as adults you know I have to check myself sometimes we don't believe that the that the kids have their own best interests at hand and they do um uh, but sometimes you know it's misguided but we also at times are misguided in how we want to mold them so we need to find a, a better way to be on the same page um, and then when that doesn't happen, it, it can't be, like we said before, punitive. Um, we need to find ways that allows the, the boys and girls to mature into themselves and have avenues to kind of pursue the ideas that they have. Because when, when we don't, when we become oppressive, they, they just lose, they lose touch of everything. So I'll give you an example. I remember it was a policy in my school um, and I'm at a charter school, by the way, too. So with those freedoms, depending on who's running your charter, can charter schools also have the the ability to be even more oppressive? 
um, depending on where you're at, because they do have agency to do what they want to do. So depending on who's whoever's cutting true. the check, running it, that can go That's both true. ways. That's um, true. So one and one in my context, we had a policy where the kids the kids couldn't bring their jackets in the classroom. I remember this. It was um, you know like if they had a jacket or coat, they would get a demerit. Become it became this like thing. And um, for me, it was like you know sometimes I upheld it. Sometimes like if if, if I don't know it was a school wide policy, but if I didn't feel like it. Um, distracted from the content of my lesson, it, it was what it was. But what was the reasoning they for weapons? What's the reasoning for no coats? My ask. Um, it was anything that wasn't supposed to be in the classroom was considered contraband, which is like I even think about the the phrase contraband. So right. it could be a hairbrush, comb, phone, jacket, a book. But it, it could be a book. But if the book wasn't, if you had a science book out in math class, it could be a problem. Um, mm. You know, so I remember, you know, but one of the biggest things was, uh, it was, I think it was kids spending too much time in the hallway or whatever. So they wanted to streamline time if they could or couldn't go to their lockers and jackets had to be in a certain place. But anyway, um, you know, I got it's the first period class, first period, bell rings at 810. I got a kid, young boy coming, he run into the classroom because he's about to be late. So he runs in the room, boom, just so he doesn't get in trouble. Because, you know, if you're late, they get in trouble too. Sister principal busting the classroom, oh, hey, blah, 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 pull that student, come here. He's not supposed to be in here with his jacket on. So I had to tell him, like, oh, you know, I had to tell him, like, oh, uh, you know, so-and-so, he was late. He was just trying to get to class on time. And we kind of both got reprimanded because I was supposed to bang the student for having his jacket. And the administrator and the student kind of got into a little back and forth about it. So me being a person, I, I, had, to at, um, I had to go to my sister principal, like, yo, I think it was a better way for you to handle that. One, I went, I had to tell him I went to the principal. And at the end of it, I kind of felt like I was in the wrong for protecting the student because I wasn't being a team player. Because if I allow him, their rationale was if I allow him to do it in my class, even though it wasn't a problem in my class, it could have potentially became a problem in someone else's class who was trying to uphold the same policy. Um, which I kind of like, I get it, but at the same time, I had to ask the question, who are we trying to serve here? Are our teachers or our students? And that question is always like this convoluted thing. So like I said, it's hard for me to even exist in that space. So I know it's extremely difficult for the students to live in that space because they can't advocate for themselves um, and they can't articulate their points as clearly. And a lot of times it just boils over and they get frustrated. And then you start seeing those you know, deviant behaviors. So I just think all in all, we need to do a better job at being on the same page as teachers and as administrators with our students. Therefore, we can kind of, we could just deal with small things like that in, 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 a, in a more humanistic way like that. that, that and that's just, a, that's one day of a, one day. Your career. Wow. But I think a lot of the times it's how you respect the student or how you think about the student. Do, do they need to be taught or do they need to be controlled? Right. You, you know, so that, that's what I'm hearing is, are you really there to educate? Or are you, you there to hold them in that space for a certain amount of time and then control them and then let them go? So right. within that control, we got all of these rules, rule, 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 rule. And children, is very, the gray area for them is, is huge because they're children, you know? And so I, I, I kind of, all of these rules that I had in school too, I'm like, it's, it's contradictory to them learning, to me. Well, I think, um, I mean, 
the education system is a is an instrument of compliance just by design. So that's that's how it was built. It's working the way it's supposed to be built. They, they're trying to enforce compliance in some way. That's primary is compliance, and then you know that everything else after that. The point that I wanted to make about um, how to deal with it, the, the, the gift that I try to offer, or what I try to do, is just give people give the young men the benefit of the doubt. The benefit of the doubt is the one thing that is hard for them to come by, because in so many cases. They don't. They don't get the benefit of the doubt. They get. They come with the assumption of suspicion, or people come with the idea that, you know, they have ill intent or they have some sort of something going on. So if you approach approach a person and give them the benefit of the doubt, if there is ever a situation that comes up, uh, you will learn a lot about what people's intentions are and what people's potential is, um, because a lot of times they get in put in they get put in positions where they is automatically it becomes combative and defensive because that's kind of the mode that they're conditioned to survive with because so rarely, you know, do they get the benefit of the doubt? Do they get to have someone hold them in positive regard? So that, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is just the benefit of the doubt. Start there, you know? Um, unfortunately, there's so much I could say and want to say, but okay. I'm probably going to have to, uh, uh, sign off <laughs> at this point <laughs> because I got some things I got to take care of. <laughs> but okay, um, but I do want to say thank you for this opportunity. Um, let's stay in contact. Let's not let this be a one-time situation. Uh, I don't know how often you can pull us together, but even if we can stay connected individually in general, yes. and this is something that should be an ongoing panel, especially for those people who are about to go back to school right now. Yeah, we got uh, about 10 or 15 more minutes and then we are signing off. I just wanted to get this last thing about children in the spaces. But I would hope that we could do this again and continue to, to build in this conversation about Black men teaching and, and what you guys bring to the table. Because what I've heard tonight was things I didn't know. And um, we're learning a lot. I'm, I'm learning a lot. And I think that this has to continue. And I like that is that we have people in Philly, we have some people in Baltimore City. So we kind of talk about different avenues of how we do, how we teach, and different mod, and, and, and different areas that we're teaching. Pedagogy. Peda that's it. Yeah. I, I can't say we, that. We, that bring it back to that word. Say yeah, it, say it, Queen. You got to say it. I'm not an educator. I can't say pedagogy. Sorry. <laughs> you can I'm say it. I want you to come, bro. Come on and um, tell me about um, black children in the space to school. What can we do to help them navigate? Help them navigate? Um, I mean, it's a lot of things. Before I get to that, can I say something else? Yeah, um, sure. I went to the brother, uh, brother that is about to log off. What's your name again? Brother Kennedy. Uh, Don't, brother, brother, Kennedy. Brother, Kennedy. brother Kennedy. Brother Kennedy. Yeah, so like when he said something about us, us having more of these types of conversations, I think that's, I think that's very critical because earlier on what we I think what a lot of us share in this opinion that um, one of the reasons from your earlier questions about why there aren't as many black men in education is because of the marketing like we're suffering we're suffering from an uh, issue with marketing we're suffering from an issue of branding really and a lot of the young brothers that are in a lot of these schools they don't I mean I'm gonna just be quite quite honest with you like a lot of schools that I've worked at over the years um, I sit around as a grown man and I look at some of the other black male teachers and <laughs> sometimes <laughs> excuse me yeah bless you sometimes Thank i'm you. like 
you know, I could see if I was a young boy, like I might look up to him and I might want to, you know, walk in his shoes and do what he does. But then a lot of other, a lot of times it's like, okay, yeah, that's a black man, but I, I don't want to be like that black man. You know what You're I mean? Corny. You know, exactly. <laughs> that, thank you. <laughs> that's what right. you're trying not to say, but I get it. Yeah, you, know, you know, say it. You might as well yeah, say it. We know ball. it anyway. We got to be, this thing, we got to, we have to be honest about this if we're mm-hmm. serious about increasing, not only increasing the number of black um, young brothers that go into education, um, but when we create these these schools and these, not even, even if it's not a whole school, but an educational space where the young brothers will want to come to, we got to let, you got to, you know, talk to the, the, the people that, you know, are, res- are respected in the community already and get them to take an interest in this, you know, in this type of work um, and in education and then like building up the community in that way. So we got to have like, you know, examples and we got to show people that like there are black men that are having these types of conversations, you know, about that are teachers that are really out here doing this work and really been out here doing this work. And, you know, so then it, it puts a different marketing spin on it. So you start to think like, oh, okay, wow. Like, oh, black men do that. Okay. So we're like, with conversations like this and that they're visible, it starts, it serves to shift the narrative, sure. right? It serves to shift the narrative. And then it's like, and it becomes something tangible that you could say, oh, okay, they over there, you know what I mean? And then we could, we could grow from this and say, okay, now we have, we have outings and other events. And, and I mean, and that, that's what, anytime you're trying to promote anything, you gotta, and you're trying to recruit people, you show other people that you might be trying to recruit the examples of who's doing it already. And yeah, then yeah. let them choose and they say, okay, yeah, I, I, I could rock with that. Or, I, you know, I, I identify with that. Or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, he might be a role model or, you know, I mean, the sisters do it too. Or like, she might be a role model. So that's what I want to do. So we got to, we got to just show it, you know what I mean? In like a, in like a positive light. And what this kind of does too, is it, it takes us out of the whole, um, even if it may be true, like in our own little silos and our own little educational spaces, us being like the one cool teacher or the one cool guy, like early in my career, that was good for my ego. And I thought that was decent, but then I had to look at it holistically and in terms of the grand scheme of things, it's like, it's not cool if like young brothers and young sisters, you know, they come to my, they got seven periods in a day. They come right. to my class for 55 minutes or an hour, but then what are they doing for the rest of the time? Mm-hmm. Like who they with, you know? Like, so really the goal should be like, we need whole, we need whole schools where they could be interact with people and they don't gotta be just like me, but at least they get the same type of appreciation. Sure. That person has a different style. They move a little different, but. They get the same type of that same type of black man or a similar type of black woman that can like provide that you know insight and that guidance you know that they that they feel comfortable with right in that in that learning space. Um, but you were saying like you know what can we do, uh, brothers in the schools? Specific, what was your specific? What were your specific words? I'm saying you know black boys definitely is what I'm really but black girls too. How can you know how can we help them flourish because they're in a system that is definitely um very predatory towards them um don't understand them there's not a lot of cultural sensitivity what i want to hear with black teachers like black men what are y'all doing to help them i think we we have that space we have to be unapologetically honest with them Mm -hmm. about it we can't sugarcoat anything and let them know again that they're they're behind enemy lines like this is this is warfare and and i think that goes to show because then you have those conversations because sometimes there will be times when you need to check them and pull them up you know, because they're teenagers or they're young people and they're not going to be perfect. They're not finished products. They're going to make mistakes. But if they know like, you know, okay, well, he, he has shown love and he's treated me like a human being. 
when he might raise his voice at me or he might lean on me, then it's because, you know, he wants me to be, he, he wants me to tighten up. Yeah. Like, I'm not doing that because I have a hatred for you. It's yeah. other adults in this building that may do that because they have a hatred for you or there's some kind of sadistic or they just don't like children or they don't like black children. But I'm going I'm to come at you because I want you to tighten up because I'm trying to get you ready for what's going to go on outside of here when I'm not here to protect you. Because right. really, I want to protect you, right? Love so, and you know, if we call it tough love, you know, I heard a brother use another term that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about more. We call it explained love. So I don't know, like, I got to think about that more. But, you know, growing <laughs> up, I was, you know, familiar with the term tough love. But explained love, it makes a little bit of sense. But whatever you want to call it, that's what, and that's what they need, too. And I think that's what, and that's what's missing in a lot of these, a lot of these spaces. Yeah. Um, is that, because so, sometimes, like, a young brother, you just like when we was all young. Sometimes we needed a grown man just to grip us up. Like, yo, what's wrong with you, bro? Like, and just like, like I got a 15, my son about to be 15 next week. His whole life I've had those conversations with him. Just like a stern, something about a young black boy having a stern, you know, a serious, thorough black man that he respects, looking him in the eye and getting him straight. And then yeah. when you have those situations, then it's like, okay, there's no need for a write-up. We don't, we don't need to do that. We just need, me and you need, me and you need to have a man-to-man -man conversation. And that's what needs to happen in, in those spaces, just like it needs to happen in the neighborhood and in the community or whatever, whatever institution it is. And so, you're saying that that is a connection that they understand, that, that is an understanding because you know, I'm not a black, I'm not a male. So what you said was something amazing when a, you said a, a black man that they respect and a young black male having an eye to eye conversation, that's important. Definitely important. That's definitely because that's your mold. Your mold. You're teaching them accountability. You're teaching them. Mm. You're instilling them values. You're okay. um, you're teaching them discipline, and also yeah. you have to provide an expert. And you're providing an explanation as to not only okay you were wrong in this situation, but why were you wrong? You know, and then you may even get anecdotal with it. You may even let them know, like if y'all got a, a good relationship, you can say, bro, like I remember when I was 14 and I did this. I know how this movie ends. You know what I mean? You know I'm not gonna wrong. You know what I mean? Like. You know, I'm official. You you know that. Like you tell you tell the other people I'm official. Like I know how y'all I know how y'all be talking about me at lunch and in other classrooms. I, <laughs> I know already. So yeah. you know, I but I gotta have this conversation, which I gotta let you know when you're messing up, you know, and it's not because I'm standing on high trying to condescend to you. I know because I did it already. Like yeah. I already made the mistake. So I want you to benefit from my mistake. Cause I think it's a tragedy if you have people around you that make the same mistakes you did and you could have possibly avoided it, avoided them having it, if you'd have just had the conversation and just let them know and just pulled them up and just said, bro, come on, you know? Park, um, park, but I also- a lot, of time, a lot of times, some adults, they come yeah. off like, you know, I'm perfect, I've always been perfect, so why aren't you acting like me? And yeah. what it really is, it's like, I'm not, I'm imperfect, mm -hmm. but I, wanna, I want you to benefit from my experience. So maybe you don't got to find out the hard way, or at least you're going to do what you want, but I'm going I'm to let you know what some of the possible outcomes are going to be because you, or the consequences. So, and that, again, and that's a life skill instilling in them consequential thinking. Mm -hmm. Consequential thinking piece is, is key because then it's like, yo, you do what you want. You're free to do whatever you want. You're not free of the consequences. Mm. And get, get young people thinking of the consequences at all times from any situation that they're in or whatever. Reem, you want, you want to say something? Yeah, I was just want to just like kind of piggyback off of what you're saying and just saying like, yeah, they need to have that conversation, but they also need to have like that conversation is going to look different. So like, I, you know, I heard during our conversation, we keep saying like the corny teacher, the corny teacher, but the corny teacher is needed 
for our young males as well, because they might not always, there's, there's a, a myriad of black males with all different personalities and all different, different ways. And our young men need some connection or entry point and guidance from whoever that is, right? So the, 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 the corny teacher or the whatever teacher we want to deem it, I don't even like that term, but the teacher, for whatever reason we want to designate him corny, might be able to, to connect to that one person. So it kind of goes back to like what our men, what our young men need to see is a bunch of African-American males that look very different and that we all on the same page. So yeah. when me and, me and Mr. Parker, me and Mr. Parker taught together at, at a school, all of the black men were united from, from, the, from the janitor to the staff, to the NTAs. So they saw all of the different various forms of, of African-American men in unison. And, it, and sometimes, you know, if Park couldn't reach a student, maybe the, maybe the janitor could. If the janitor couldn't reach the student, maybe I could. So, you know, it's, 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 you know that, that corny teacher or science teacher that likes Pokemon or the art teacher that likes graffiti, like, they need to see all that because it's some relationship that they can connect to that student. So just to, like, piggyback on that, you know, what, what our young men need to see is varying forms, right? Just like in, in basketball or actors, right? There's a need, for, there's a space for Denzel, Samuel Jackson, Will Smith, they all, there's a need for all of them to be, to be in our media. And there's a need for us to see, for our young men to see all different forms. You know, like the corny yes. teacher has a, the corny teacher has a space just like everybody else. Amen. I, I, I really agree with that. And, and, you know, and I'm glad you saying that from an administrator's standpoint, because you hire and you're not looking for a certain black man. You understand that all black men in that space is good for black children. You get what I'm saying? So I like what you what you just brought brought forth that you're an advocate for the corny black man. I love that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an advocate for I'm an advocate for all black men. That could, that I, just could play, I, just no, I got you. I know what you're saying, but I, you know, I might not be able I might not be able to to reach a student because we, we don't we don't have something in common or I can't relate to that student. So if I have a, a, another teacher, yep. you know, that can do that, so be it. That's right. That's right. I like that. All right, Karaju. I had to keep you still, bro. So um, come on in here, cause you you move you what you teach special education you are good at it. Oh, I got an IEP too. So <laughs> <laughs> all day. What's going on with the rest of these brothers? I'm thinking. I, I think y'all need to drink some more water or something. Ain't nobody got up to go to the bathroom. I'm forty something. I don't know what's up with y'all. Hold y'all. <laughs> but I know I need to go to the bathroom every now and then. Right. Water. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna have to sign out, though, sis. I'm gonna have to Love to the family. Love to the family. Let's stay connected. Real yes, talk. Bro. Morgan Bears all day. Yes. All day. You got to you got to run a pigeon to Brother Kennedy, though, because he ain't got he ain't checking no email. You got to run that pigeon. I need the full picture movement. I can't. Yeah, I can't you need do a picture it. book. Yeah. Your Zoom got to be a picture book, bro. Yeah, go get some crayons and draw your picture in the crayon or something. I love I'll get, I'll get back at you. Open the window and yell loudly. I'll get at you. Yeah, like I'll I said, get, get that pigeon. Yeah. Let that pigeon fly. We'll holler. All right. All, All right, right, people. Love. Love. Take care. Yeah. Come on, Karaji. Tell, tell us about protecting Black children in the special education space. Talk to us. All right, versus Karagu. 
<laughs> and uh, um, it's weird because uh, honestly, like I said, we are uh, over identifying. We do represent a larger slice of that special ed population. Uh, but unfortunately, special education is a money game for a lot of schools mm -hmm. um, because schools receive more funding because they have these kids there. Uh, and then they use that that money to like buy paper and buy other things that don't necessarily apply directly to those students and their needs. That's how and we there's nothing. Exactly. Yeah. See, and then there's not a not a lot there to like stop or to try and like keep people to spend like all their special ed money on special ed kids. You know, like we need like that type of thing going on. But the way how at least in Baltimore City, everybody, every principal basically is in charge of the budget for their school so they kind of have created like a system that like almost like rewards foolishness. yeah it's, it's like you're going that's a lot of foolishness like everybody's their own little lord over their building and the fact that we don't have anything that can work you know like where we're working together we have systems and checks and balances in place it creates fraud it creates waste and just overall we just don't have like the will and the intention the vision you know to do something different like, it's just like, these kids are a problem. I don't really want them here, you know? Or these kids, I can take a few of them if they, if they ain't that bad, just let me have the extra money, you know? And 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 that's kind of like the plight of the special ed kid. They're kind of seen as just like an extra source of income if you're willing to 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 deal with the problems that they, that they might bring or <laughs> something like that, you know? So the whole system's like broken, which is why, like, Gil, I was saying, I don't know we should burn it down, but I think we should. <laughs> try and do something to make it work you know we're the ones that are aware of where the fractures are and where the cracks are yeah. um and it's not so much i think about black men uh seizing power as much as it is about just trying to be heard and making our, our voices heard you know consistently that in turn will change the entire uh the narrative i think well, or at least I, it's a start wow I really think we have to reimagine schools in a way, just like we're reimagining the whole system that we're dealing in when, under this white supremacy apparatus, but schools need to be reimagined right. in a lot of ways. Right, that's and, why I teach comedy, because it's all silly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and they need to see, they need to be able to see that, you know, to get, to get through it. And I'm hearing in the chat, like, um, people are talking about rites of passage in schools and, um, different things to you know put in school for for black children like whereas they can have this system of cultural um sensitivity and a cultural product so i'm reading the chat and some different um I, I think there's some educators listening so it's a beautiful thing and um i think we can take some of these ideals we it is 8 so we've been talking guys for two and a half and this is beautiful i want to commend you black men I know Black Men Teach, you guys are incredible. I feel so blessed to have you here. Um, I want to do this again. I want to do this a few more times. Um, and Brother Kareem, I want to know, can we come up there and, and check your charter school out? I want to see what you're doing up there. Is that something that's doable, that I can come up there and um, look at a black like a school that you're actually running? And is, is that feasible? Yes, you definitely, I'm more, more welcome to have you come, for sure. Okay. I would like to show the people something like that and um, and, sure. and, and, and let the, maybe get the kids on the mic a little, let them enjoy sure. themselves, you sure. know. My, so. my, my, uh, my, my middle school students will love it. 
Excellent, excellent. I think I think we're going to talk about that. And, sure. and, and brothers, I, I want us to continue this. Let's do this again. We got to show children and parents that Black men are teaching um, and that you guys are so valuable in this space. Um, I know I didn't have it in my, as, a, as a student, and I just think this has been um, an impeccable conversation. Um, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm totally impressed with what I've heard today. Um, I, I really appreciate all of the input, all of the movement, Karaju. We appreciate you and your. <laughs> She's never going to get it right. Yeah. Now, it's, now it's a game. Wait, you from Baltimore? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Baltimore people don't say the long U's and all. They be like, T. No, no, Wagu. T. Bruh. Like. Like, don't get you know, started on that accent. That accent is something. It's hard to get that black tongue out. You know, I've been taught in, in public school education. But you know, <laughs> hard, holler at me. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> sorry, Kiragu. Kiragu. I apologize. I'm going to call you Brother KB. I can't. No, nah, don't do that. See, my oh. mama taught me about that. See? <laughs> That's a microaggression. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Be your own people, yeah. <laughs> you are really a comedian. <laughs> so, um, listen, brothers, let's do this again, definitely. Let's keep this conversation going. Um, I hope, do you guys know any black superintendents that are males? That's the truth. Do you guys know any? I, they're very hard to find. If I can, I would love to talk to them. I know, I know two. I know too. Because they definitely have a lot to do with policy and how schools are whole, you know, schools are ran. And so I would like to have that conversation. But listen, let's do this again. Um, we are humbly grateful for your appearance tonight. Real talk. All right, guy. Just All let right. me know, Quinn. Thank you. And come and do my classroom for me. Because you yeah, know yeah, we're, we're going, in. Listen, we're doing hybrid. Our school is hybrid, so. Anytime you guys and let me come in, I'm coming in. Real talk. I wanna, I wanna really see you at at, at your space if I can. At year 28, yeah. <laughs> at year 28, can you believe it? We're gonna move on to um, the closing. <laughs> All right, everyone. If you are, if you're listening and you're viewing this, we really appreciate you taking the time to check us out. And if you would like to hear more of the conversations that we've had on Black Box Radio, you can find them at blackboxradio.com. That's B L A K. B-O-X-X-R-A-D-I-O dot com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Black, at Black Box Radio and on Twitter at Box Black. That's B-O-X-X-B-L-A-K. All, all good. Listen, brothers, I will keep in touch. Kareem, I'm definitely going to holler at you real soon. Okay. Rika Keel, thank you so much. Karagu, got it. Thank you. Stephen L. Where you know, is all love. G, you know, we part of the time. Appreciate everybody who's listening. We appreciate. Please subscribe to our website, blackboxradio.com. We will release them, release this all together on our YouTube channel uh, within the next week or two uh, once we package it and clean it up. But we really appreciate everything. And listen, everyone have a good night. We out. Peace. Peace.